0: Call New American Funding now and see how much cash out you can get. Call 800-209-6124. 800-209-6124. 800-209-6124. That's 800-209-6124. NMLS 6606 www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org This is not an offer or commitment to lend Subject to borrower and property qualifications Not all borrowers will qualify Terms and conditions apply Equal housing opportunity
1: You guys, it's Rick Tittle
2: All right, it is a a TGIF edition of Titillating Sports. I am your humble host, Rick Tittle, coming to you from downtown San Francisco, California. The home studios of the Sports Byline USA Broadcast Network. Actually, Daniel, can I get a little bit more there in the headset there? Just a little bit more. As Joe Fortenbaugh said, Rick, you're going deaf. Yes, thank you. Uh, Yeah, back in the broom closet, we had a little uh, funny ha-ha-now-we-can-laugh moment where we were basically dark. There was going to be no show. And uh, our engineers here scrambled, sweated bullets, and got it done. And so I'm basically sitting in Daniel Ogden's lap for the next three hours. And um, we have a jam-packed show if everybody shows up. First of all, hour number one on Fridays, we're always uh, quite privileged to be joined by Jan Wall. She's fab, And she is the film critic extraordinaire. We'll have some uh, Broadway stars. We'll have Christopher Knight, who? Peter Brady. He'll be on. And also a woman with a fantastic name, Zoe Yeoman. In the second hour, comedian Steve Rogers has a new album. We'll also speak with Mike Johnston, author of Confessions of a Dork Lord. Not Dark Lord. And Bradley Wright Phillips, former soccer player for Manchester City, Plymouth Argyle, Red Bulls, and others. In the third hour, Luca Fury will come on, the aptly named Luca Fury, to talk MMA. Comedian Orlando Baxter has a new comedy special live from South High. And then we'll close out the show at 11.40, The Return of Tim Tebow. He has a new book called I'm a Saint. No, it's called Mission Possible. And uh, I love Tebow, man. He is a great guest. And I don't. I normally I would jinx it by saying that, but now he guys always Mister Positivity, and uh, love me some uh, double T. All right, a tune in app, iHeartRadio app, Stitcher app, no Twitch because I'm in the back studio. Big shout out to the troops listening both home and abroad on American Forces Radio Network, one 878 play is the number to get in if we can squeeze you in. We got a full show. Come on back. Thank you so much, and welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle with you, nationally syndicated out of San Francisco and around the world. On the American Forces Radio Network, it is our first hour of a three-hour tour. And uh, we're always joined on Fridays in that first hour by the Hollywood Insider and film critic Jan Wall. How are you, my friend?
7: I'm just fine. Thanks, Rick. How are you doing?
2: Not too bad. Let's get right to it. We have a first guest, Tony-nominated Broadway star Christiane Knoll who's here to talk about the Riverside Opera Ensemble in Manhattan. We're going to have a concert at Merkin Hall at the Kaufman Music Center. That's over there on 60 seconds, 67th Street, I should say, on uh, Monday, May 16th. Christiane, first of all, if you would mind, give us a little background on uh, some of the great, great productions you've been a part of. Okay.
8: I, I didn't know I was going to be talking to a genius. I'm so excited to be talking to you. That's thrilling. Um, but, and I actually have the, the joy of being
2: back. Christiane, are you there? Oh, we lost her. I think I'm
9: here. So, oh, yeah, there you know, we go. There.
2: Try sorry, again. Sorry, him. go ahead. We oh. lost you there for a second. Can you tell us well. a little bit about some of the fabulous productions you have been in and been nominated for a Tony?
8: Uh, yes, I, I said I uh, currently I'm starring um, in Dear Evan Hansen on Broadway and uh, had that the joy of bringing that show to where you are right now out in San Francisco um, prior to COVID. I, we were out there for about three months. And as you said, I, I'm Tony. Nominated for the revival of Ragtime, and I got to do that. I made my Broadway debut uh, years ago now in Jekyll and Hyde, which was a big, huge to do um, back in 1997. So, uh, and I've done a bunch of different things in between there as well. I was in a production of Chaplin. I've done Next to Normal and. Miss uh, Saigon toured around have um, done some television I was in that uh, the first one of those live um, live musicals on television with Carrie Underwood I was in that Sound of Music so that was amazing So, uh, yeah I've, I've been very busy and uh, excited to be able to help my friend Nathan Matthews out with his new music on the wow.
2: somebody's tea is ready too hey um wow so you're a real broadway
7: baby that's fantastic
8: yeah Mm -hmm. i've been i've been very very fortunate
7: Mm -hmm. Uh, what about you what you're doing now what what element of it do you love because it sounds like you do so much acting singing dancing uh you
8: you mean the being in dear evan hansen or singing
7: oh no not dear evan hansen but um you know the you're doing you uh, what exactly are we talking about right now? Oh, well, kind of dropped there out there is, for a minute. Uh-huh.
8: at merkin at Merkin Hall. what I love about um what they're doing on on Monday, may sixteenth uh they are featuring music from new American composers, and that's the uh. whole point of this and one of and one of my friends is uh, Nathan Matthews, and he has written. Um, an opera called The Count of Monte Cristo, oh. and he's um, going, looking to get a, a production of it, ha- is talking to a bunch of people, but, you know, this is a wonderful o- opportunity to really show off his music um, so that people can come and see it. The lyrics were written by um, the uh, one of the stage directors of the Metropolitan Opera, oh. um, I'm looking for his name here. Uh, but, oh, uh, Stephen Pickover is his name. He's the lyricist. So he's going to be bringing, I guess, a bunch of his friends from the Metropolitan Opera House um, to see it. There is it's also so classy,
7: another... from the Metropolitan Opera House. Yeah,
8: it's a little fancy around the corner. Not, not, No pressure there at all. <laughs> um, and then there is another um, Drew uh, Fornerola is the other composer being featured and he has also uh ha- is going to be presenting songs from two of his m- new musicals "Pianoman" and hashtag dorian which i'm guessing has to do with dorian gray but he's an award-winning composer from dreamworks so there there uh, is going to be a variety of different kinds of stuff going on and i'm just thrilled that um the uh, Riverside Opera Ensemble is uh, sponsoring this evening, and over at Merkin Hall, and that we're going to get to hear new music. Cool.
2: Now, how are you going to be participating in this, Christiane?
8: Well, uh, my husband and I are doing uh, some some uh, songs that he wrote. Uh, Nathan wrote uh, to a, a poet. His name is um, Peter Kelly. And they are a new song cycle called The Ruminations and Reflections of an Armchair Philosopher. And they're very silly and very fun. And my husband, Jamie LaBertier, and I are going to be singing a bunch of those songs. And then in the second act, that's where he, uh, Nathan is going to get to present his opera, or at least parts of it. Mm-hmm. And I am singing... This ridiculous aria, which I'm scared to death to do, but no one's ever heard it, so no one's going to know if I'm doing it right or not. Ah, um, and uh, it's—I uh, basically lost my mind, and I want to poison uh, everybody. So, mm. I—it's, it, it, uh, yeah, it's quite, it's quite extraordinary. Lots of high notes and running, and she's murderous, and that's always fun. Wow, you, you, you sound like <laughs>
2: you sound like my prom date.
8: Ah
7: yeah, well,
8: careful, great. Don't, don't careful drinking your punch.
7: <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of Catherine Grayson and Kiss Me Kate. I hate men. You uh, know the yeah. way she wants I to even, poison them. The gleefulness of wanting to kill them all.
9: All
8: of that except she's really doing it.
7: <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. No, so
8: not just watch to kill it. She's actually, it's, it's, uh, I, I said it's like Kunagonda on crack. She's, <laughs> she's, she's, she's got on a homicidal rant. Yes, great. It's really fun.
7: Well, It's so encouraging for people who want to write their own music. You know, whether it's the lyrics, the music, or if you're a genius like Jerry Herman or Cole Porter, both. Um, yeah you know it's very encouraging when you hear new music and new music, new composers
8: I, I it's so hard i don't know how people do it i mean i i i am passed with um getting the the joy of being able to sing new music which is always wonderful but when people are pulling stuff out of the ether i don't know how they do it. It's, it's really amazing to me. Well, you and, mentioned uh,
7: the picture of Dorian Gray, the Oscar Wilde story, as being uh, one of the impetuses for some of it. And, yeah. um, you know, if someone has something they're inspired by like that, uh, yeah. you could just go, you know, you got to write it. I mean, I've written I, some music, and it's a great thing to do.
8: And sometimes, sometimes it just writes itself. I mean, I imagine if you've, you've written so, if it's in there, it's it's not difficult. It, right. You start it started and just sort of tumbles out. So. That's
2: right. That's right. Yeah. And Jan, do you sing what you write? Um, I will. Yeah, I sing as I write. I write lyrics.
7: I don't really write music, but I write lyrics, and mm-hmm. then I will tr- I will kind of hear the music to the lyrics. And, yeah, I sing it to myself. Yeah, you know I like to sing. It's, uh, it's just, it comes out of you, just as she said. It rolls out of you if you've got, if, you've, if you're inspired. You know, you have to be inspired.
8: Well, and it's interesting because sometimes you have, uh, like, both of these are composers and they've worked with different lyricists. But I know, like, someone like uh, Richard Rodgers well, and Hammerstein, that's a classic, right. Right. writing team but sometimes the lyrics came first when uh rogers was writing right with, um hammerstein but when he was writing with uh, uh rogers and Hart, then it was the other way around you
2: know mm-hmm.
7: the melody. right exactly
8: exactly
2: all right. Yes. all right well i want to make sure everybody checks this out monday may 16th at merkin hall over at the Kaufman music center the riverside opera ensemble and uh for more information and tickets Kaufman Music Center.org, and we've been speaking with the Tony nominated Broadway star Christiane Noel Christian congratulations thank this you Christiane. Like a fun thing. Thank yeah you so terrific
8: much. I appreciate it thank you bye-bye
2: uh, all right bye-bye. we'll take a quick break and we'll keep the entertainment rolling on the rolling other on. side with mm-hmm. Peter Brady sounds great Greg the <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's 800 391 8713.
10: I'm not insightful enough to be a movie critic. Maybe I could be a food critic. These muffins taste bad. Or an art critic. That painting is bad.
11: I'm so disgusted by Rick Tittle that I find him very intoxicating.
2: (laughs) All right, whatever works. Rick Tittle and Jan Walwith here on Sports Byline, nationally syndicated out of San Francisco and around the world on American Forces Radio Network. We've been talking to guests who will be attending CroftCon for Sid and Marty Croft. That's going to be the Orinda Theater out here in the uh, East Bay on uh, May 21st. And someone who will be attending is our next guest. That is Christopher Knight. And if you grew up when I did, I was born in the '60s. You watch the Brady Bunch, and you definitely know who Peter Brady was. But Christopher, let me ask you about this. Before the Brady Bunch, you were on Mannix. <laughs> what was that all about?
12: <laughs> <laughs> you know, that was my that was my first uh, my first
2: speaking role.
12: And uh, you know, I was just recently. It's an interesting uh, story. Just two weeks ago, a friend of mine, out of the blue, uh, gifted me with the entire Mannix a library on DVD and I hadn't I hadn't my memory of the, of that time is obviously a little flaky I was eight years old and I knew that it preceded the Brady Bunch cause, and I knew that it was my first speaking role and I knew who I was on with because later I would recognize them um, in series later that I'd watch more as an adult uh, Norman Fell for one mm-hmm. um, and he, he played the dentist I was in a scene with. In, in any case, I, I, I couldn't remember when it was exactly in the run of Mannix, and I was able to determine it by by getting this library, and I guess it was in 1968, and it was, I believe, in the first season of Mannix. Uh, yeah, so that was, uh yeah, it, it's my magic rock, I think was my line, <laughs> and uh, I remember it like it was yesterday. Wow, man, um, this
7: is Jan Wall. I think it's great you're a kid actor, and now... You know, you've made it to, I'm very good friends with John Provost, and he was Timmy on Lassie, and it's a tough road to uh, to make it as a child actor, and to somehow come out sober and straight, and able to do things, and um, you know, uh, what do you owe that to? Because you were a pretty big star, because you hit with the Brady Bunch.
12: Well, never, but it never it never went away, I mean, uh. the, not, no, well, will let the star thing probably quite a bit, but the reality is, this show is is you know it's transcended it transcended its uh, original uh, design. I mean, it was entertainment for for kids mm-hmm. uh, and adults. You know, light fair for a Friday night. Yeah. And now it's some, it's sort of a touchstone. It's Americana. It's the last of a genre, if you will.
7: Right. Plus, they there's, made there's, some you... some pretty good movies since uh, about. Her. Did you see the two <laughs> yeah. Brady Bunch movies? They're pretty good.
12: They're you know a completely different uh, Mm -hmm. uh, style. I mean, obviously, fish out of water story, where ours wasn't really a story about. I mean, it was. I mean, it wasn't an anthology. It was a story about a family. You know, it just it was. You know, leaping forward from a time of vaudeville and slapstick, um, you know, to more realistic comedies that uh, would were dramedies of the of the 80s and 90s, and we're stuck somewhere in the middle in a rather rebellious period in this country's development. Um, uh, and, Did you know it was you know, a know Not necessarily uh-huh. taking all that in, but the sweetness that is, that is family when it operates correctly.
7: And you knew the father was gay?
12: Did I know that Robert Reed was gay? No. I, you know, okay. Robert never w- was out of the closet with being uh, gay.
7: Okay.
12: Um, so uh, his... Being gay now doesn't you know, seemed to be all that important. Um, mm-hmm. But he, ne- he never claimed himself to be. I don't, I think it's accepted that he was. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was his personal decision. And no, I didn't. As a matter of fact, I did, I, there was issues between Robert and Sherwood, our producer, with respect to the type of fare that was written. Um, and as an actor, sometimes he had, he had difficulty with the scripts. I, and I know my, uh, my Brady brothers and sisters also had no idea of the level of disconnect between Robert Reed and Server Source because they kept it from me. That was all behind, I mean, as much as, um, sometimes in Hollywood there's, you know, very, very real, um, disagreement that uh can be, Publicized in our case, right in front of us, it wasn't even seen. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, th- there was a real effort on our yeah. show uh, to have the set be a, a wholesome place for kids. Uh, even, even the even the the crew when they came and did you know to do our show were were reminded of that. Their hours would be different. That was one of the attractions for some of the crew who were on a clock. I mean, they you know some younger crew members would love to have overtime but you're not going to get much on the brady bunch because most of the kids well all the kids have to be done by six o'clock
13: oh. and
12: uh and there's very few scenes without the kids which would be then done after the kids are dismissed so you're not going to you know have to work late and that was attractive to a lot of crew members but at the same time also you you, you know and use different language
2: so christopher when you're at Croftcon at the orinda theater on may 21st and somebody walks up and says it's time to change. Do you say, "Look, that was a long time ago," or do you embrace it?
12: I know I embrace. I embrace it all. I mean, it, it, it's it, it's kind of it, it's just I did for a moment in my life run from it. I was expecting it to disappear as though it was an adversary, and then you know it. it I don't know like the light went off and I realized that you know all it really engenders is this wonderful feeling of brotherhood. Uh you know I the the biggest confrontation I have from it is that people come up to me and as though I know them, you know they know me <laughs> like I'm a member of the family and mm-hmm. and you know I it's you know that's a gift uh, to be given. It's not like um people all smile and want to shake my hand. So it's like they want that kind of friendship is not, um, is not imparted on many individuals. So I'll, I'll, I'll take it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, yeah, I mean, when, when Time to Change it had its own personal uh, connotations for me, because at the time, I, I, I took it as an affront. I thought it was a way of pointing out that Chris Knight has no musical talent. <laughs> uh, but now I laugh at it. I mean, the show works in it its uh, context. Um, and, you know, just I'm very proud to have been part of it and that, in fact, this thing it still kind of exists and tickles, tickles people. I mean, Barry Williams and I, uh, you know, just started a podcast this year. To do what? To do episodic uh, review of the show itself. Fifty-some-odd years after the fact, what we do is we sit down we watch the show. Maybe the first time we've watched it in 50 years. Uh, we watch it separately, and then we do a podcast on... On what we saw in that show. It made, it, it was completely clear to, clear to us in doing the HGTV, uh, very Brady renovation project that we, the six of us, Brady, um, cast, see the show very differently than our, than our fans do. Our fans have been watching the show repetitively for 50 years. We don't necessarily watch it, um, and never really can consume it, you know, like an audience can. Um, objectively, but as time goes by, it gets, it gets at least more possible to w- watch it objectively. So what we're doing is we're catching up to where our fans have been watching these shows over the years. And interestingly, and fun for us and our reminiscing, we have those recollections from behind the camera to share with the audience, but we're watching the show and remembering things uh, and sharing things that we never shared with each other. Wow, that would uh, be
7: amazing to hear. Amazing.
12: Yeah. yeah. Do you any, want any,
7: get residual? The real
12: Brady,
2: Brady. Yeah. Well, we're almost out of time. Uh, we want to make sure that you tell us about CroftCon. As I mentioned? It's going to be on the 21st, from 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. at the Arinda Theater in Arinda, California. What are you going to be doing there, Christopher?
12: I'm going to be doing a question and answer. Uh, you know, Derek Zemris, who is the founder oh, of CroftCon, is also you know, um. You know, uh, involved with the Orinda Theater. Gorgeous and, and theater. Gorgeous. And helping, and helping to preserve it and support it. And that's the reason we're up there. This, this whole event is in support of the Orinda Theater. Um, Derek knows Butch Patrick. He knows me.
9: Mm-hmm.
12: Uh, and I guess in a conversation he had with Butch Patrick about doing something to help the theater, they came up with this idea that ultimately now is, is CroftCon, a, a way to, celebrate our childhood i guess they're going to be serving fil- uh, cereal uh, on television trays it, it, um, so this is going to take us all back to our you know our childhood when we, we sat around the television on saturday morning you know watching sigmund and the sea monster um, so all of the cross legendary characters um will be there Sid and marty will be there um it, it, it's it's just going to be a wonderful event, bringing us back, uh, you know, a nostalgic event, bringing us back to our childhood. Yeah. Oh, and that theater is gorgeous. The theater. Yeah. Speaking uh, of
2: uh, Sigmund, I had uh, Johnny Whitaker on the show yesterday. So everybody, get out there. Tickets available at eventbrite.com. There will be a costume contest as well. First prize is 200 bucks. And make sure to check out Christopher Knight. Hey, Christopher, thanks for coming on, man. We appreciate it. Thank you, Christopher. It. No,
7: it's
2: my pleasure. And Derek says hi, Jack. I love
8: Derek. Thank you. You're right, a wonderful uh, guy.
2: All right, good stuff. And um, I didn't want to say it on the air with the risk of embarrassing him, Jan, but Christopher Knight has aged the best out of all six of those Is kids. Is that right? In what way? He still looks like he's, I don't know, he oh. looks like he's 40 and he's like 64.
7: Good for him. Yeah. God bless him.
2: <laughs> all right, good genes. All right, let's go ahead and take a quick break. And when we come back on the other side, we'll be joined by Zoe Oman. Come on back, Rick Tittle and Jan Wall.
14: 5G is here, but the big carriers want you to sign a pricey long-term contract to get access. Well, not anymore, because Straight Talk Wireless has rolled out 5G coverage nationwide with deals like our Silver Unlimited plan for just $45 a month and no contract. And get a Samsung Galaxy A32 5G for $249, all on America's best networks. 5G coverage, 5G phones, less money. Straight Talk Wireless, no contract, no compromise. 5G capable device required. Actual availability, coverage, and speed may vary. See terms and conditions at straighttalk.com.
11: Rick Tittle once threw a tennis ball at a donkey.
2: I feel bad about that. Rick Tittle and Jan Wall with us. And you know, wherever I go, people are playing their phones loud. They're talking. It seems like no one has any manners anymore. And when you turn on my show, you know you want a lesson on etiquette. And so (laughs) I bring in now Zoe Yeoman. And first of all, Zoe, great name. Zoe Yeoman? I mean, come on. Secondly, I remember David Letterman used to have Letitia Baldridge uh-huh. on his show. She was Jackie O's secretary, and she was the etiquette expert. What did you think of Letitia, Zoe?
16: Her social protocol um, person, yes. Um, Letitia Baldridge was pretty well known for her um, her wit and her ability to be kind of the ultimate diplomat, and that's really the place that a lot of us end up in so people will ask us questions and we're kind of like well I can't really say what I'd like to say but let me put it out this way so that's kind of one of the things that we're good at you know and when you work for the president for the for the first lady I think that's pretty (laughs) important because otherwise you end up uh what's the word you end up offending half of the country right Mm -hmm, mm so Right, you have to you have to really kind of tread lightly when you're talking about some of these things. Well, a
7: couple things about etiquette. One, I've always wondered about if you burp uh, in public. If you say "excuse me," you cover your mouth. What the hell happens with that? And in other countries, is burping actually a compliment to the food? And then the other thing I wondered about is um, etiquette uh, is a difference for men than it is for women.
16: Well, you're right about the the subject of burping. Um, In in a lot of countries, that's a sign of you enjoyed your meal and kind of thanking the host, and it's considered appropriate, and it's 100% kind of almost expected. In our country, we use our napkin, right? So we take our napkin up to our mouth, and we burp when we can catch it. And then yes, you say excuse me, and then you move right on. So you don't make mm-hmm. a big deal about it, right? It's one of those mm-hmm. things that you kind of you take care of, and then you move right on uh, uh, away from it. I don't know necessarily that 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 it's different etiquette is different for men than it is for women. It's it's more that we as women are expected to handle certain types of things when right. it comes to the because men could be right? big slobs. I mean, they could just.
7: <laughs> burp and (laughs) fart and be
16: disgusting and women
7: have to be kind of cool on those things
16: ladylike and demure and right and so of course in these this in this day and age it's not that way so much um but still we're the ones who send the thank you notes when we've been invited over to Uh a party we're the ones who make sure that you know the baby shower gift gets taken care of that kind of thing so
13: Mm-hmm.
2: What would you say, Zoe, is your biggest pet peeve, like the biggest faux pas going on right now?
16: People use their cell phones for everything. Right. So oh. I relish going into a card store and picking out boxes of different cards. You know, thank you so much for you know, I'm so sorry for your loss or, you know, that kind of thing. Everybody does it by text. Oh, thanks for last night. It was really fun. No. <laughs> no. You know, it's just a stamp. It literally takes five minutes to write a card, whether it's for sympathy or, or, or birthday. or. So I have to tell you, that's kind of, it kind of sticks in my craw. And I just refuse to change. I still send them.
7: I and I hate too. people who bring phones to dinner or bring phones when they're with me. I mean, either be with me or don't be with me, but don't bring your <laughs> freaking phone.
16: I agree, Jan. And there's a, there's a funny meme going around, which is, you know, what's the proper place for me to put my cell phone on the table? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, the answer is there is no proper place, mm-hmm. you know, just to put your cell phone on the table. It shouldn't be on the table. Right. And I, I agree with you, too. It's... You know, I think some people are a little more cognizant of it these days about the standing there with the phone and you're trying to spend time with them and they're constantly, you know, um, um, answering or what have you. You know, when we have to work, um, I get it. We all we all understand that. But mm-hmm. when it's just kind of like when one is using it as a pacifier, mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. that's a Problem.
2: couple more questions for etiquette expert zoe yeoman by the way you're not going to be a toll booth operator if you have a great name like zoe yeoman i gotta say <laughs> uh, i'll throw this at you zy i'll call you zy if yes. that's all right um yes. what is worse being a no show after having already rsvp'd or showing up to something uninvited
16: <laughs> wow um, wow yeah. Indeed. That's hard. <laughs> what is worse? Um, I think that it's worse when you've given an RSVP that you're attending and then you don't show. Um, especially when it's, uh, kind of an indoor sit down six, eight person, you know, affair or, 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 um, I, if you're, if you show up to something and you were uninvited, that's kind of a whole different animal, It It really is. See, um, yeah, I have to stick with the first one. I'd have to say telling someone you're going to be somewhere and then not showing. That's, that's pretty darn rude well, I in think anybody's so, world. Yeah.
7: Something I thought was bad, and you did it, Rick, was uh, at my big birthday party. I had this huge birthday party, and I really was careful about my guest list, and I wanted to talk to everybody there. And this guy shows up, does not even tell me who he is. I didn't get to talk to him the whole time total schmuck without telling me who he was. I mean, it wouldn't have killed him to come up to me and say, hey, I'm Rick Tittle, you know, I'm on the air with you.
2: Well, here's the thing, Zoe, (laughs) can can I, may I respond, Jen? Yeah. Here's the thing, when you do 50 shows in person, I had the temerity of thinking she might remember me. (laughs) Well, I don't know. I'm trying to.
7: I'm trying that. The therapy is helping me get rid of that resentment. Rick. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But what a fun thing to be an etiquette person. I mean, you know, like if I know some big dumb person who makes all kinds of etiquette problems, uh, maybe I can give him a book or something, or have him meet with you. Well,
16: of course. I, you know, I I do really enjoy what I do, and. I understand that people kind of think it's a little strange but it's also really a lot of fun you know I like helping people kind of navigate the problems that they come up with you know why does my sister-in-law whenever she shows up she never helps me in the kitchen she just goes and she sits down with everybody and she never you know I just love helping people solve these little problems and and um, we have military people who listen to
7: this station and you know, they have a lot of etiquette problems. Like, how do I address this person or that person? So, etiquette comes in all kinds of ways.
16: It's in everything. It's mm-hmm. in everything. You know, uh, how you sit at the table, how you are, how you behave on the golf course when you're in a baseball when you go to a baseball game. I mean, there's etiquette wow. in everything. Do you do how so, after so, you make love with somebody? Do you say
7: thank you? <laughs> <laughs> what?
16: Um, <clears throat> some people do.
2: <laughs> let me That's let me so throw good. this one at you, Zoe, and I don't want to uh genderize, but I do think women do this a little bit more than men, so you tell me. You're at a restaurant with four friends. Somebody I think should either pay for the whole thing or split it uh, five ways. The uh, people who said, Well, your salad was more and you had two glasses of wine and I only had one uh, I hate that. Well, I wow. feel
16: sorry. You know, you have to you have to kind of feel for those though. Um They're built a certain way, and this is part of what etiquette is about, is accepting people for how and who they are and making them feel comfortable and at ease so that they understand that they can like and trust you and do business with you and all of that. So, all of that said, when you go out to a meal, if you're the person who invites everybody, people might think that you're going to pay. But certainly in these days and age, four credit cards put on the table and just split it down the middle is really the most appropriate way way. to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody has two more drinks than you, and and you you pay two more dollars, really? I mean, with the price of gas right now, that's not, you know, it just is the way life is sometimes. Let it go. Oh. I would
7: think that was so tacky, you know, to do that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but you know, etiquette is just great. I mean, I, I mean, it's something you don't hear much today, and the kids today—they don't know from nothing about it. But um, they need to learn because a lot of them are really rude, and they just don't know. You know, and they're going to be out in the work world, and you know, be a real
16: problem. I agree, Jan. I mean, it's why I started the business fifteen years ago. I was- I saw a problem 15 years ago and I said gosh this is just getting worse and worse and worse and some of my favorite memories of teaching have been with my young students you know when I show up the next day and they and they say oh I taught my daddy how to how to use his napkin and I t- told my daddy he should take his elbows off the table and I said well look daddy pays the mortgage so maybe don't tell him that but it's good that you know you know uh-huh. and and why we're supposed to keep our elbows off the table so you know, it, it really depends with the stay-at-home and gig economy. Um, you know, most kids know basic stuff, but if they're going to be going out to clients and if they're going to be spending time um, in a law office or, or on the East Coast at, you know, um, Ivy League schools, everybody needs these sorts yeah, of classes. absolutely. So much of this is regional. It's regional a lot of
2: times, too, right? So tell us more about the OG Etiquette Expert.
16: Well, this is my rebranding um, because I've been doing this for a while. I thought maybe, <laughs> to Jan's point, I thought maybe this might help get young people's attention. You know, the OG, right? Original gangster, right? Etiquette expert. So um, there is a web, uh, I have a webpage, um, theogetiquetteexpert.com, and we are happy to. Come to your company's retreat, or spend time um, with you on the phone or on Zoom. Um, just trying to help people build confidence and feel more confident in their their own skin.
2: The OG Expert, the OG Etiquette Expert.com. Check out Zoe Yeoman. Zoe. Thanks for coming by.
16: Thank you, Zoe. Rick wow. and Jen, I enjoyed it very much. Thank you for having awesome.
2: me. All right, good stuff. And Jen, you got some wrecks on the other yeah, side. Yeah,
16: sure. I mean, that's such an interesting
2: topic. You know,
7: we took this thing and made it really interesting.
2: We're so good at that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jen Wall and Rick Tittle on the other side. She'll have some recommendations. <laughs>
10: Let's say life knocks on your door and you need money to live on or pay bills. What do you do? They can say yes when your bank says no. Call EasyKnock now and get the cash you need out of your home. Knock is not a lender. Its products are not available in all markets. Terms and conditions
0: apply. 800-245-9187. 800-245-9187. 800-245-9187. That's 800-245-9187. Come
14: on.
17: People are always asking me, Tiger,
18: uh, how do you do it? And my answer is, shut up. Uh,
19: I ask the questions around here. I'm Tiger Woods.
11: Tittle thinks there's a direct correlation between dogs and lightning.
2: All right, a couple minutes left with Jan Wall. What should we be watching, Jan? Well,
7: I was thinking how
2: much I enjoyed these two really
7: dumb and funny uh, movies that were taken from the Brady Bunch. You know, we were talking with one of the kids from the original Brady Bunch. And I am telling you that there were two really funny movies in 95 and 96. Uh, about the Brady Bunch, and they're done so well because, like Billy Wilder always said, comedy is best when it's played for truth. So it's played like these guys really exist. Shelley Long and Gary Cole plays the, in uh, uh, both of them plays the father and mother. And uh, it's just, it's dumb but so funny because they're living like the Brady Bunch from the 60s, only they're living in the end of the 90s. And they're completely fish out of water, but it's so funny because they play it real, you know. And there's, you know, there's Jan and there's, you know, all the characters that we know. And it's just great. And in one of them, um, uh, uh, Tim Matheson plays the villain, and they just live in this dumb house. And they're just, it's just perfect. And the sexuality between the two oldest ones is so, it's funny. And they sing dumb songs and I don't know. So if you want to just laugh and get out of the real world, which who doesn't want to these days, I would go for Brady Bunch one and two, the movies.
2: Let me ask you this, Jan, because it's all—I mean, Saturday Night Live did a sketch about how wim, oh, yeah. women love these uh, serial killer documentaries. Oh. Are you also, as I echo? Yeah,
7: I am. There's a very, very good one right now. Renee Zellweger. It's called The Truth About uh, The Truth About Pam. And it's uh, the truth about Pam, yeah. And it's uh, it's, it's this real life serial killer who is still with us. And uh, Renee Zellweger stars and and plays her, and also um, produced it. It's just so good. I I binged it three hours. I binged it three episodes. It's just fabulous. So I like anything. Yes, that is true. I like those kind of movies a lot. But they have to. I like them when they're based on real life.
2: All right, Janie, thanks for coming by, and uh, have a great weekend. You too, sweet. All right, that's Jan Wall, everybody. I'm Rick Tittle. We still got a big, big show coming up. We got comedian Steve Rogers. We got Mike Johnston, the author. We got Bradley Wright Phillips, the soccer player. We got Luca Fury on MMA. We got Orlando Baxter, comedian. And Tim Tebow, answer the phone, Tim Tebow. I'm Rick Tittle. Come on back.
13: Radio
18: news with Tim Berg. Today, a day of big losses on Wall Street as the Dow has fallen already more than a thousand points at times on Thursday. The Nasdaq is having the worst day percentage-wise as it has fallen more than four percent. While the S&P is also deep in the red. The downward plunge comes one day after stocks staged a massive rally after the Fed Reserve raised interest rates to fight soaring inflation. Senators are shining another spotlight on immigration and border security.
12: About a million people came to the border unlawfully and were admitted into the United States. This year, so far 2022, it's unprecedented. So it's not a 15-year high, it's it's an historic high.
18: During Ohio, Ohio Republican Senator Rob Portman saying the situation at the southwest border is clearly a crisis.
19: This is USA Radio News. Oklahoma
18: Republican Governor Kevin Stitt is touring tornado damage. A charter school in the town of Semnol took a direct hit.
19: There was a, uh, a nice shelter there, and then when
18: they came out, uh, the whole roof was destroyed and all the outbuildings were turned over. Semnol is about 50 miles southeast of Oklahoma City. It was hit with its third tornado of the week. Overnight storms damaged two schools, a marijuana farm, and other buildings. There was flooding, but the governor says there are no reports of serious injuries. The co-inventor of the implantable defibrillator has passed away.
12: Dr. Martin Mower, a former Maryland-based cardiologist who helped invent an automatic implantable defibrillator, has died at the age of 89. Mower and Dr. Michael Mirowski began working in 1969 on developing the miniature
18: defibrillator. Lance Pry reporting from the USA Radio News West Coast News Bureau. This is USA Radio News. Gun smoke, Fort Laramie. Have gun, will travel. Frontier
12: gentlemen, Luke Slaughter of Tombstone. The greatest radio shows of all time, Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox. On many of these radio stations or online, just search for Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox. That's Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox.
18: At the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Explosives in Washington, D.C., Attorney General Merrick Garland is giving an update on his anti-crime strategy to bring down rising violent crime rates. Garland saying that gun kits will now be treated like normal firearms.
0: Those who engage in the business of dealing in these guns will be required to mark every frame or receiver with a serial number so that the guns can be traced if they are used in crime.
18: He says businesses will be required to be federally licensed, maintain records, and run background checks in the same manner as they would when selling a regular firearm. Garland not saying how many of these guns that are put together are used in violent crimes. A state is continuing to look at who received unemployment benefits.
1: Michigan's embattled Unemployment Insurance Agency is dealing with more fraud. Officials say 55,000 more unemployment claimants who were overpaid during Governor Gretchen Whitmer's COVID-19 shutdowns will not have to repay those funds, totaling $431 million. UIA Director Julia Dale says the agency will continue to review overpayments and extend waivers to anyone eligible. In the USA Radio News Midwest Bureau, I'm Katie Lewis.
18: Find us by searching for USA Radio News wherever you download your podcasts. For USA Radio News, I'm Tim Berg.
2: All right. Hey, thank you for that. And uh, Rick Tittle with you. Back in the main studio, which you probably don't care about, and why would you? We'll get twitch.tv going here. So we missed out on Peter Brady, but we still have Steve Rogers, Mike Johnston, Bradley Wright, Phillips, Luca Fury, Orlando Baxter, and Tim Tebow to come. So come on in and get heard, girl. I said get heard, girl. 1-800-878-PLAY. So, Debo Samuel has now re-followed the Niners on social media. (laughs) Does that mean all fences are mended? Remember John Lynch, the GM, said he's too good of a player to lose. We've got too good of a thing going, and we want to keep that going. That's where I'll leave that, and that's too good of a quote. But, uh, yeah, breakout season as the top offensive weapon maybe in all of football, but uh, this guy... Last year of his rookie contract, $4.89 million. And And um, he sees everybody else around him doing less, getting $20 because he's an awesome wide receiver and a tailback. New Shimmer is a floor wax and a dessert topping. Remember that? Saturday Night Live? Bueller? Anyone? Bueller? So uh, we'll talk about it. 1-800-878-PLAY is the number to call. 1-800-878-7529. That's what's going to get you in, and that's what's going to get you heard, girl, coast to coast and around the world. Kentucky Derby tomorrow as well. I did two segments on that yesterday, but if you still want my advice, uh, go ahead and get in. I can just tell you that Carmine Marino lost his mind for a horse that's not one of the favorites, and uh, it's Charge It. If you run out of cash, just Charge It. So I'll just reiterate, Carmine Marino of AgainstTheNumber.com said, Charge It is the horse. All right, go with it or not go with it. Now now I feel like I hear a commercial. Is Is there a commercial rolling? We got some gremlins. My name is Gremlin Tittle, and and we'll (laughs) we'll come back (laughs) right after this.
13: Contains the little
15: known truths about annuities, like how to help reduce your fees and increase and retirement income. And
19: now, today's rust eating tip of the free. day, presented That's by right. Free All free. Deep Penetrating Oil. As a bonus, You're all for, you for a quick tie rotation until you have a rusted on wheel. We
14: researched Coat over
18: those lug nuts in penetrating oil and let them sit for a few minutes. Then you'll have them off in a cinch. Insures.
19: Now,
3: give You'd a generous spray into each mounting hole. Place a 2x4 on the outer edge of the
19: wheel and smack the wood with a mallet, just enough to create some braking force and vibration. Repeat if necessary. And now a word from Free All.
20: Check
2: out Channel 9. Check out Rick Tittle. All right. uh, Check me out, and welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle with you coast to coast and around the world on the American Forces Radio Network. You know we love to have the comedians in uh, studio, and we can get them on the horn. And uh, let's go out to uh, New York City because we have uh, Steve Rogers with us. He has a new album called Before He Was Super from Blonde Medicine. Steve, it's hard as as a huge fan of Tuesdays with Stories, and (laughs) it's hard for me to say your name without saying BD in the middle of Steve and (laughs) Rogers. I, uh,
21: you know, I totally get it, and uh, what a lucky nickname I was given. (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm truly, I'm truly honored. (laughs)
2: Yeah, I know it's not one you want to say. Oh, stop with all that.
21: Exactly. Yeah, Uh, you know it's. it's hard to be uh, humble with with that nickname, honestly. But uh, I, I find a way to do it. But thank you for having me, Rick. I'm, I'm excited to talk to you.
2: No, and uh, over the years, and I've been doing this show 20 years. Everybody you know has been in here and has signed the wall, and so we got to get you in here if you ever do the punchline or cobs. Um, but oh, I, I would love that. Yeah, and, and but anyway, Joe List talks about. You're, you're, you know, a story, uh, and you know, you and Caitlin, and then you got, uh, you know, Ron on, and, uh, you know, <laughs> everybody comes over to the, to the, to his house, you know, and he's, I, I saw you in one of his little movies, and yes, he's trying yes. to, trying to get Mark Norman to move there. He's never going to do it. But what is it like with those hangs you guys have?
21: I really, I mean, I, I I think, I, I'm just so grateful because uh, Joe's one of my best friends. Uh, obviously, uh, I'm close with Caitlin, but, uh, <laughs> and, and Ronan is like our adopted son. So, and, and Sarah is just hilarious. So, like, the to have, it's nice to be in a city where you have friends uh, that, you, you know, we all do comedy, you run into each other and you get a nice hang going. But to have it, uh, be in the building you live in is another another level. I just get to hang out. We go for coffee. It's, it's truly a uh, awesome experience. I I hung out with him yesterday. Probably hang out with him tonight. It's a lot of fun.
2: Yeah, tell him also. I said hi and he'll go. Who? Um, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I saw a Mark at a, a a Indian casino on on Friday night. And so you know, I'm always interested in listening to. Uh, because you know, I've had him in studio here about uh, four times as well, so I'm always interested to hear Tuesdays of Stories to see what they have to say about it. But your podcast, Panic Attacking, with Andrew yep. Chavone, Mark doesn't like Andrew Chavone because he feels like he's Joe's new buddy, and Mark is like, ah, that guy stinks. And it's kind of tongue-in-cheek, and it's kind of not.
21: <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, Andrew just started hanging out and being part of, uh, not circle is not the word, but like just, uh, hanging out at the apartment with all of us. And obviously I'm good friends with Andrew, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I would say that, uh, I, I'm worried that, uh, they're going to dump me and Mark and start their own podcast. <laughs> I, I worry about that every day.
2: So, you know, you mentioned Sarah Sarah Talamash, a stand-up comedian, and, and Joe List and her are married. And, um, you know, you've very publicly, I'm not giving anything away, you and Kalen Palufo, what, what's it like working with somebody who does the exact same job as you and has the exact same crazy hours? I, I, I guess it's a blessing, huh?
21: Truly, truly. Uh, I um, I think one of the biggest things when you do this is, like, you wanna you want to be with someone that understands that understands they don't have to be doing the same thing as you, but as long as they understand what you do and, and how that works. And it just kind of removed that obstacle immediately by her doing the same exact thing. I also like that. I get to watch her be hilarious. She's so funny. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we, we are now day date people. We don't ever (laughs) go on any dates at night. Everything has to be a day date, so it, you know you you find uh, ways to make it work. But uh, I yeah, no complaints. It's it's worked out perfectly to uh, for me to date a comic. I I really uh, I'm grateful.
2: Well, I'm a I've been a comedy nerd my whole life, and I'm in my 50s, and and I was lucky enough to see uh, Kinnison and Seinfeld and George Carlin oh, and all man. those. But I also I think my favorite all time is Brian Regan. And oh, I mean, yeah. yeah. And you get, what's it like opening for that guy?
21: So that's one of my favorites as, as well. I'm, I'm a, I'm a nerd about it all the time. And, and, uh, to, to the, I still am bad at realizing that he like I each time it feels like the first time. Cause I'm just like, Oh my God, this guy wants me. It's pretty crazy. But to watch him every night from the side of the stage, just murder is truly, I I, I never want it to end. I, I really uh, enjoy working with him. And he's so funny, and he's it, amazingly nice. Uh, like, people have a nice persona on stage and maybe not off, but he's even nicer off stage. It's so uh, awesome. I, I He changed my life, so I can't say a nice
2: enough nice things about him very cool now as we're talking a lot about joe but the anxiety he has and he'll live joke to joke he'll have a joke that kills and he'll think i'm the greatest of all time and then the next one he gets no laugh and he says i should jump off a bridge what am i doing in comedy (laughs) with you though the your mental health management the anxiety that you have and then you're in a job where everyone's staring at you demanding you be funny how do you work that battle
21: Um, you know, it it is, uh, a daily, uh, battle for sure. I I would say that I feel the same way as Joe. Like you do kind (laughs) of live joke to joke and and some, and sometimes it's set to set. Um, but that is, uh, something you work, uh, on not being something that controls (laughs) your mental state. Uh, and that took, took me a while. And I wouldn't say that I've, Uh, perfected it by any means i still struggle with it but um i think just focusing on having fun doing the work at home like i write a lot and i like playing with jokes and uh all the preparation at home and then when i get to the stage being like all right now it's just for fun like all the all the work was put in so now all i have to do is have fun and that that kind of helps and i'm still i'm still learning to be honest uh but uh I try to um remember it's my favorite thing to do in the world and I would hate doing anything else.
2: Very cool. Last question for you. You know, when I was growing up, I would see Syracuse, you know, and I would think, uh, you know, great at that time, great football, great basketball, and I knew that Syracuse yeah. had the Newman Broadcasting School, but whenever I hear comedians saying they're going to Syracuse, they're like, "Ugh, worst city in America, <laughs> horrible comedy club." Why? Why does everybody bag on Syracuse? Is it really horrible?
21: I disagree. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it would be insane for me to to agree with them. I came up in the cl- in that club, and uh, I don't remembering it remember it being awful. I think uh, we are prone to complaining, mm-hmm. and uh, it's easy to be like, "Well, that city sucks." Um, but I, I think it's good. I mean, I've, I started there and I was there for like four and a half years and a lot of the material on the album worked there and, and, uh, was obviously I brought it to New York. So it was good enough for me to move out. (laughs) But, uh, so I disagree, (laughs) but, um, I think it's, uh, it's easy. I mean, Syracuse I will say is the worst weather. It's, It's cold all the time. It's the snowiest city in the United States. It's gray. It's uh, uh, just if you don't have seasonal depression on on your way there, you'll have it when you leave. (laughs) That kind of thing. I'll say that. But uh, as far as comedy, I think the the crowds can be good. But uh, I also want to keep working there.
2: Yes, of course. (laughs) The new (laughs) album out today, and it's called Before He Was Super from... Law and Medicine, we've been speaking with Steve Big Blank Rogers. <laughs> St- hey, Steve, when you get to San Francisco, come on the studio, man. I would love to. All right, great stuff. I'm Rick Tittle. We'll come on back with Mike Johnson, everybody.
0: That's 800-817-2968.
14: Here's a simple solution for you. If you have back pain, knee pain, or any other pain in your body, it's as simple as drinking a glass of water every day. Your body is over 60% water, and drinking the best water you can get is crucial for your health.
11: I'm 33% sure Rick Tittle is the father of my child, but I'm 100% sure Rick Tittle is a jackass.
2: Uh, it hurts my feelings. All right, welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle with you coast to the coast and around the world on the American Forces Radio Network. It's our pleasure to welcome to the uh, show now author Mike Johnston. He has a new Confessions of a Dork Lord book. This one's called Grave Danger. It's available from Putnam Publishing. And um, welcome to the show, Mike. Tell me a little bit more about Wick, or Azrael Balgorat, the Wicked, Keeper of the Fountains of Flame, Breaker of Worlds, Heir to the Throne of the Black and Broken Glass, and Son of the Dark Lord Who Vanished.
22: <laughs> Thanks a lot for having me on the show. Um, so, Confessions of a Dork Lord, this is the second book in the series, is uh, It's a kid's fantasy series, um, sort of a diary-style book, like Diary of the Whippy Kid, but... Um, it's about a, a young boy who is the son of the Dark Lord. The Dark Lord is like the Sauron of Lord of the Rings, the uh, the Voldemort of Harry Potter. He's the big bad guy. And I, a long time ago, I had an idea to do a book actually that would be have as its hero sort of a, a Sauron or a Voldemort. Um, you know, I wanted to do a book where the bad guy was the hero. And when I finally came around to that idea, I decided to write it as a middle grade book. So I went ahead and made the son of the Dark Lord the hero of my book. And that was sort of how Wick was born. Um, like could I do could I do maybe a Draco Malfoy uh, book? Could I do could I take the, the guy who was supposed to be the bad guy and turn him around and make him the hero of the story? So that was where I got started.
2: Very cool. Now you call yourself the original Dork Lord. You got the glasses working. What what was your what was your dorky background?
22: <laughs> oh my god. Um, I suppose I had the same uh the same dorky background as any other author. I probably spent my entire middle school and high school everyone else was having fun uh reading science fiction and fantasy books. I suppose that's my that's my confession. Um but you know, I, I can definitely relate to Wick, my character. He's you know, he's a guy who just can't get a break. He's he's in magic school, but at the start of the first book he's never even cast a spell successfully. And in fact by the end of it he's only cast one. Um, he's almost sort of a anti Harry Potter. Like if if we had Quidditch in my world, he wouldn't even make the team. They they wouldn't even let him play. Um, so he's a kid with challenges.
2: You know, speaking of challenges, when you write anything today, much less a book for eight to twelve year olds, how careful do you have to be to not step on any toes? Because as you know, people are circling the internet trying to be offended yeah. by everything.
22: Yeah, it's um, not. It's not. A, Something I really, yeah, it's it, it, it's it's difficult time. I completely agree. I th- I think um, I think there are you know toes that that are willing to be stepped on. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> um, I, you know, I think we are conscious. I think we want to write books for everybody, so we do try to be you know we, we we do try to be inclusive. We try to write books that everybody will like. But you know, I also write comedy, so I you never know when you write comedy who you're going whose feathers you're going to rankle.
2: Now, the grave danger in this book is that Wick finds himself kicked out of his own castle and yeah. and an exchange student to a place where they don't like him, right?
22: Exactly. So the, the premise of the second book is he's, he really wants to cast a second spell. And he, casts a, he does something that's completely beyond his ability, and he causes some pretty big trouble. He basically destroys his own castle, which has his own throne that he's one day supposed to upon, and he's booted, he's kicked out, forced to live with the people who are supposed to be his enemies. Um, so that's kind of where we get started. He, he is a Dark Lord. His friends are the ogres and the dragons and the bad guys, and now he has to go live with the people who he thinks are the bad guys, which is basically us, the humans. Um, so it's, it's a, the book is kind of a fun way to poke fun at fantasy and who we think are the good guys and who we think are the bad guys. Um, you know, because in my book, the good guy is sort the bad guy. Excuse me, is sort of the good guy.
2: Now, here's the thing that a, a lot of people don't understand when I tell them, but you know, I'm in my 50s, and when I was growing up, yep. the cool kids played D and D, and then uh, I'm right. from I'm from the San Francisco Bay Area. You know, we were all okay. football players and student council, and not like we had yeah. And so, I found out through uh, the rest of the country that. That's what the dorks played, and I thought, no, no, D and D's for the cool kids. How was it for wow, you? How was I, it for you at Dungeons and Dragons?
22: Well, first of all, I wish I had gone to your your high school. Middle school. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Um, uh, so, you know, I was a sort of Dungeons and Dragons playing uh, middle schooler, and even into high school. Um, but we were not the cool kids. Um, we were sort of the—I uh, was in the heavy metal group. We mm-hmm. were the Iron Maiden listening, long-haired kids <laughs> who uh, who played Dungeons and Dragons and listened to heavy metal and played guitar. Um, you know, it was the '80s. And uh, but yeah, I, I I wish I had gone to a school where where it was cool. It, it definitely was not. It was definitely that thing that people kind of looked at as being not that they made fun of it, they thought it was a little weird. Um, like why are you into this thing with demons and monsters? And is there something wrong with you that you're into that? Um, which the answer may or may not be yes. So.
2: but now the, the one catch to the whole thing was my high school was all boys, Catholic and hmm. in a really bad yeah. neighborhood.
22: Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. Maybe
2: that had something I was, to uh, do with... I went
22: to a, I went to a public high school in rural Ohio, oh. uh, but, uh, Who
2: knows? So now that you're, are you Mr. L.A. Fancy Pants now?
22: No, I I think I'm leaving L.A. I'm tired of it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You're going back from when she came?
22: (laughs) Yeah, probably. Um, It's, uh, L.A.'s all right. I'm over it.
2: Um, Your wife is a very successful children's book author as well. Is that something that you guys kind of, you know, bounce off each other, or do you have to go to Ted Kaczynski's shack when you write a book?
22: Um, I wish I had a shack, but not Ted Kaczynski's.
2: Mm-hmm.
22: Um, you know, we, we do, um, uh, we've both been working at home uh, for the last couple of years, so there's, there's there's enough there's enough books in the house. We we try to turn it off at, at dinner time. Um, but, yeah, you know, I, I, I have another professional writer in the house, so we definitely will send each other books. We send each other drafts just to get the other's opinion. And, you know, sometimes just talking about your book, talking about your plot out loud can be a great way to, like, figure out what's wrong with it so and then they have a professional author there to kind of give you some comments um it's great and it's a great interplay and we we don't do it all the time because frankly that much shop talk in any marriage is probably not a great idea Mm -hmm. um so we definitely try to turn it off um but we do it sometimes and it's actually great it's a great resource
2: and then as you work on Book three is that already in your head when you're working on Grave Danger, or are you like fresh out of ideas and you got to kind of start mm-hmm. all over again? <laughs>
22: yeah, um, you know, I wrote fantasy for adults first. I did, I did a big epic fantasy series for Tor called The Amber Throne. The first book was Solari, sort of sort of in the mold of Game of Thrones, like a big, violent, historical kind of book about war. And uh, that was something I truly enjoyed working on and spent a lot of time working on. So these, these, these kids' books are shorter form, but I really learned how to craft series, how to come up with an idea that I could carry through several books. And, and so when I came to KidLit, um, I sort of brought that sensibility with me. I definitely planned, okay, this is where the first book will start. This is where I would like the series to end, even though I don't know how many books it is. And these are kind of some of the things that I wanted to happen along the way. So I... I do think if you want to write fantasy and you want to make it into a series, you kind of owe it to your reader to, to figure out the broad strokes of it so that you're able to give them something coherent that builds and makes sense and is, like, satisfying to read. Like, you know, if you're just, you know, moving by the seat of your pants, I feel like you're going to disappoint people because everything isn't going to make sense in the series. So I, I feel like I owe it to people to try to figure out stuff before I I, you know, I
2: start typing. Very cool. Last question for you. Do you see this as any sort of series, whether live action or animated in the future?
22: yeah, you know, I, th- I think it would make a cool animated series. Um, you know, I think it'd be a super, it's a big fantasy world with a lot of monsters. and this the second book is all about zombies and vampires. It's a very cool kind of Halloween book. So I think visually it would look really cool on the big screen. If nobody ever makes a movie about it, I, I don't really care. You know, I like I, I actually write books because I love books. You know, I'm I'm mm. totally cool with Hollywood never buying it because, let's face it, they they rude stuff all the time. They might just make an awful movie out of it. So if, I, if my book is always just a book, to me, books are the best. You know, they're great. And so if I never get a Hollywood movie, that's fine. Um, you know, I, I probably wouldn't mind the exposure I got out of it, though, to be
2: honest. <laughs> yeah, You can be dismissive when you don't have it, right? I know, I'm I'm with you. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah,
22: I'll take it, man.
2: All right, Mike Johnston, and uh, you can find out more at MikeJohnstonAuthor.com, but the book we're talking about, available from Putnam, Confessions of a Dork Lord, book two, Grave Danger. Hey, congratulations on the uh, effort, Mike, and uh, thanks for dropping by.
22: Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it.
2: All right. uh, No doubt. And uh, coming up next, uh, we are going to be talking with uh, Bradley Wright Phillips, someone who's had a fantastic uh, soccer career, and we'll talk to him about that uh, and more. I'm Rick Tittle. Come on back on Byline.
0: 800-754-4531.
3: Don't throw away your money on maintenance fees. Use it for things you really want. We can help you end your timeshare contract and stop the money drain immediately. If you're ready to move on with your timeshare, call our
0: team right now. Cancel your timeshare now with a free call. 800-824-5131. 800-824-5131. 800-824-5131. That's 800-824-5131.
14: It doesn't really matter.
0: I I don't like my job, and uh, I don't think I'm going to go anymore.
11: Tittle thinks there's a direct correlation between dogs and lightning.
2: Welcome back to the uh, show. We are uh, trying to get our uh, next guest. And when he is uh, duly corralled, we will uh, throw him on the airwaves. It's Bradley Wright Phillips. Um, Just over three weeks into the reboot of the USFL, they're going to be shifting into higher gear. What do I mean? For at least two quarters. So the head of officiating, our old buddy Mike Pereira, who I interviewed many times over at the FM station here in town. Uh, Well, we'll talk about that in just a second, but we do have our guest, and we're quite pleased to have him. It is Bradley Wright Phillips, one of the greatest players in MLS uh, history, and he's here to talk about how uh, the uh, Red Bulls, uh, New York Red Bulls, are going to be sponsoring – With uh Oanda Bradley, uh, welcome to the show. And um, what is Oanda and what is the partnership here?
23: Yeah, it's the new Red Bull sleeve, um, patch, (laughs) it's a new long term partnership with them. Everyone at the club's very excited. I'm glad I'm looking forward to see where it goes.
2: You know, I saw your dad play for Crystal Palace back in the day and uh, known as uh, righty or or Ian Wright, and your brother Sean. What was it like uh, going to Selhurst Park in those early days before he even went to Arsenal?
23: Yeah, that was amazing. That was amazing times. You bring me back now, making me feel old. Um, <laughs> no, nah, good times. Honestly, that's what inspired me. That's what made me want to be a football player, watching my dad you know, score and celebrate and just those kind of memories with my brother. It was Really, like, times to cherish, man. It's crazy. I need to go and look back through some further albums. You bring me back down memory lane. <laughs>
2: Was there ever a time when some coach wanted to make you a center half or a winger and you're like, no, I'm a striker?
23: No, do you know what? It's funny you say that. My dad, when I was, when I think when I just got into the academy, maybe just before the academy, my, my dad said I've ever thought about playing center back. Mm. He wanted me to be like a center back. I don't know why. It was only like one conversation he asked me about it and I said, there's no way. You know, football is not, if you're not scoring goals and you're not playing football, it's a whole different sport.
2: Yeah, and uh, there, there are not too many uh, guys uh, your height playing center half, right? You'd be more of a wing. <laughs> you'd be like a now, wing. Not an aggressive one. I'd yes. have been an aggressive one. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. So at uh, Man City, and and you know, I think about the days at Main Road with two straight years of being relegated. This is before the salad days at Eastlands, right? Yep. This
23: was like yeah, that's real I always called like Main Road. What stadium? That's like one of my still. One of my favorite uh, stadiums to go and watch games. Um, I didn't get to play there; I was too young. Maybe I played there in the youth cup, actually. Mm. I didn't get to play there for the first team, but an amazing atmosphere in like in the like in the in the Moss Side in Manchester. It was really like a real old English football ground. It was, it was so good to experience games there.
2: No doubt. And I also got to go to uh, St. Mary's down there at the south coast on the River Itchen. Yep. Uh, saw the Saints there of Southampton. And that's when, when you transferred to Soton. That's when your career started to kind of uh, flourish, didn't it?
23: Yeah, it did. Uh, well, it was up and down. It was up and down. It was a great experience for me. Um, I think in my mind, I was still a little bit too immature, you know, for that move. But what a club. I think I had three very um, enjoyable years there. A lot of fun. Some great people. I met some great people along the way.
2: Yeah, I think about like uh, the days of Theo Walcott and Gareth Bale and some of the other guys coming through there, yeah. right?
23: Yeah, I think Theo just left before I got there. But, yeah, Gareth Bale was there. Um, I don't know. Lono. Like a lot of good players. Dave McGoldry, Nathan Dyer, some good, very good players. Cameron Jones.
2: Yeah, Was uh, Mauricio Probably Pochettino your, your gaffer then?
23: No, no, no. He was way after Okay, I'm, I told you I'm old, man. I'm <laughs> 37 now. Hey, I'm 20 you know, years. I, a- I'm
2: 20 years older than you, my friend. <laughs> uh, what about? Um, um, well, let's let's move on. You went to. I, I'm just fascinated because going to Plymouth Argyle and yeah. and and going to uh, a League One, of course, not the bright lights of the Prem, but still a, no. a, 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 a team rich in tradition.
23: Yeah, um, I actually went there. Was in the championship, so it was in the same league and then. I tore my meniscus, so I was out for most of the season. Um, I got back in. That season, we got relegated, and then it was just about grinding from there. You know, we went down to League One, but I managed to get myself some goals, and I got a move to
2: Charlton. The Latics back to London. What was that like playing Charlton?
23: That was good. It was weird. You know what? I was one of those players I never really wanted to play back home. I didn't want to play in London, Mm -hmm. unless it was, you know, for Arsenal, which is my boyhood team. I wasn't really interested in playing for London, I think, because I moved away so young. Mm-hmm. But once I got there, it, it was just the best, man, getting to play down the road from my mom. Just getting to play, you know, in games like that close to where I grew up it was really good experience. And we got promoted.
2: Yeah, no doubt. A couple more questions for Bradley Wright Phillips on behalf of New York Red Bulls and, oh, and uh, Um Loaned out to uh, the Brentford Bees for a little bit, but then making the move to the States, and uh, you took to Major League Soccer like a uh, fish to water, and you and Thierry Henry, and what was that like coming over?
23: Yeah, that was, um, that was good times. It was weird because I wasn't really sure about, you know, I wasn't sure about coming to America. I really just came to just see what it like, you know, um, but once I got here, I, I didn't look back. I loved it, and it was a little smooth sailing. When I first got here, I had a couple of hamstring injuries. I couldn't really get in the team. But I knew it was somewhere where I wanted, I wanted to make my mark. I'd, I'd promised myself that I was going to really put my head down and try and, like, make football number one because for a lot of my career, it wasn't. Um, so when I got here, I just wanted to knuckle down and, and carve out a good career for myself, if you know what I mean.
2: Yeah. Well, I think it helped having Ro- Andy Roxburgh, too, running things. And people don't know, he was a former head coach of the Tartan Army up there in Scotland. This is a guy that's uh, football through and through, isn't he?
23: Yeah. Uh, Tony was amazing. He made my... You know, when I first got here, it was good to see someone just, just a British, a British voice, a British face. It was <laughs> nice. Um, he helped. Now he honestly helped me settle in. Anything with housing, you know, a car,
2: everything. He was, he was really good. So even the Scottish brogue that felt like home. <laughs> yeah,
23: no, it does. Honestly, when you're in the midst it's a long way from home where I am. You know, so any, any, any kind of Brits that are, are here, you, you, build that nice little bond, you know.
2: So, in uh, Major League Soccer, when you were going to places like, you know, Denver and San Jose and, and LA, what, what did you think of the league when you first came over?
23: It was crazy. It took, it took me so long to get used to it, even just like the time of the like the, the duration of the flights. Before I, my visa was sorted, I, could, I played in a reserve game against Dallas and we flew, like, I can't remember, whatever the time flight is. And we played at 11 in the morning. It was so difficult to get used to. I couldn't believe it. It was boiling hot. It was really hard to transition. It was something so foreign to me, but after a while, you get used to it.
2: And uh, ninety nine, a little Ro- uh, Ronaldinho kind of. Uh, what what was up with the number ninety nine?
23: Do you know what? So when I got here, there was I had two options. I think it was number forty five and number ninety nine, <laughs> and I just tried to relate it to something. I remember ninety nine for me when I was younger. I just it was a good summer. I feel like I might. I came to New York um, in nineteen ninety nine. I think I, I actually came to New York with my with my grandma. Hmm. Um yeah, so I just tried to relate it to me and then yeah, it turned out to be a lucky number.
2: Yeah, you probably wanted nine though, right? Not two nines.
23: No, I've never been I've never been a um a really? number nine. I've never really liked that number. Okay. I feel like I wasn't that kind of player at the time.
2: Yeah. Well number nine's gonna sit in the box and put head in crosses, right?
23: <laughs> yeah, big guys, great hold up players, just it just don't really go with how play.
2: So I mentioned your brother, Sean, who was a fantastic player. And what was it like to finally team up with him?
23: No, well, it wasn't finally because at Man City we played together a little bit. Obviously, I was coming off the bench and starting, but
2: mm-hmm.
14: we
23: got a few, a few nice moments on the pitch. But what I always say is at the time when I was at Man City, it's one of those you're young, you think, you know, I thought it was going to be like that forever, me and Sean playing for Man City forever. You don't realize when you're young. And I, I feel like I didn't appreciate the time we had. So when he got to New York Red Bulls, we just try to cherish like every moment, you know. Enjoy going into training together. Enjoy actually practicing together. Away trips, um, yeah, it was an unbelievable experience. We're very lucky to get, you know, to get another chance to do that because I think the first chance I, I kind of squandered.
2: Well, a great footballing Talked family squandered. too. I mentioned your dad, Ian, who's still on uh, television commentating. And, and even though I think it was Cliff Baston's record that he broke the scoring, yeah. yeah um, but, but I still think of him as Righty and brighty with the Eagles.
23: Nah, what a partnership! Yeah, what a partnership! Yeah, they were they were unbelievable. They really done wonders for Crystal Palace back then. I was a little bit too young to to know, you know, too much of the ins and outs. But as I've got older, I've seen highlights and I spoke to my dad and he, he said Mark Bright. My dad was always a good goal scorer, but he said that Mark Bright was just what we're talking about that that number nine, like a real number nine. And he just helped him clean up his game. You know, my dad yeah. knew how to score, but he didn't really understand the roles of a striker, like hold up playing and and the rest of it. And he said, Mark, that really helped his game.
2: And, of course, your dad representing the three Lions. And um, I remember, you know, I was so excited. I worked at the World Cup here in 94, and, and Graham Taylor fashioned away. You know, that was one that your dad, I mean, he started on that team. How crushing was that not to go to USA 94?
23: He, um, I'm not sure if he got injured before that, but I know he had a good season before. Um. I feel like he might have got injured but that's one of his biggest like yeah. I would But say, I think well, he that difficult. last
2: game at San Marino I think your dad scored in that one. I think that was yeah. their last chance, yeah. You're
23: right. You're right. And yeah, he just didn't he didn't make it also maybe he wasn't injured, maybe that was another one but I know he didn't make the squad and that. I, I think that burns him till today
2: Right. All right, so tell us before we go. We're talking about uh, Red Bulls and uh, Oland. what does Olanda do? Pardon? What does Oanda do? What is the company? It's,
23: a, it's an online um, trading company.
2: Hmm.
23: Yeah. You'd have to look up a lot more. Um, but, yeah, it's an online trading company. It's a partnership. It's a great little patch on the, um, on the sleeve.
2: One nice little, little patch. Yeah. Sorry. Last question for you. I know you were with the U20s in, in, uh, in England. When you had a chance to get a Jamaica cap where you're like, nah, I'm too English at this point.
23: Kinda. Of. Yeah, kinda. Of. And I think I was just too I was more focused on um I was more focused on New York Red Bulls. I'd spoke to the Jamaican national team a couple of times. But it's just a lot of games, you know, and yeah, it just didn't feel it didn't feel right. Yeah. It didn't feel right. We tried to get something sorted and after a while I think because it didn't it just wasn't it just didn't feel right. It wasn't for me.
2: Yeah, and if you join the reggae boys, you got to get the hair, and you like you like being bald, huh? Yeah, I love being bald. <laughs> before,
23: I, I was bald before, at, uh, by choice before, now it's just, yeah, I can't wear hair
2: anymore. Uh, it's Bradley Wright Phillips, a guy who scored over 100 goals in uh, MLS, New York Red Bulls, and, uh, of course, talking about the sponsorship with uh, Oanda. Bradley, thanks for coming on and talking a little soccer with us. We appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Good stuff. I'm Rick Tittle. Come on back on Sports Byline.
10: Let's say life knocks on your door and you need money to live on or pay bills. What do you do? Would your life be better if you were able to take the equity you've built in your home and spend it any way you want? Here's an idea. Call EasyKnock. They can help you convert the equity in your home into cash in just a few days. If your home is worth $100,000 or more, EasyKnock will buy it from you. You get the money you need and you stay in your home as a renter. Plus, depending on your program, you can buy it back at any time. If you think you might not qualify, remember, they can say yes when your bank says no. Call Knock now and get the cash you need out of your home. Easy Knock is not a lender. Its products are not available in all markets. Terms and
0: conditions apply. 800-245-9187. 800-245-9187. 800-245-9187.
15: That's 800-245-9187.
0: Pricing information, eight hundred nine one five nine six five four, eight hundred nine one five nine six five four, eight hundred nine one five nine six five four. 915 9654 915 9654 915
12: 9654 That's eight hundred nine one five ninety six fifty four. 915 9654
7: Are you saying that I put an abnormal brain into a seven and a half foot long 54 inch wide gorilla!
9: Is that what you're telling me?
11: This is the only sports talk show that features a Rhodes Scholar, but he ain't here today. Now, back to Rick Tittle.
2: Thank you for that. And it's uh, it was cool talking to Bradley Wright Phillips, you know, because their longest flight they're ever going to take, <clears throat> if they do fly, would be like an hour. And just the coast to coasting, that was something that British fans would ask me when I was in England they're like, in the NFL, why are there no concertina wire or, you know, moats or barbed wire? How do you keep the fans off the field? I'm like, we don't run on the field unless it's Morgana, the kissing bandit for the most part, unless you're a drunk idiot. Um, but they, I said, there are no away fans unless you're a rich guy in a box. And he's like, oh, you're right. It's too far, isn't it? I'm like, yeah, it is too far. All right. Back to what I was saying about the USFL, a rules update Quote, in order to maximize fan enjoyment and keep games under three hours during the first and third quarters, we're moving to a running clock after an incomplete pass. End quote. Now, the adjustment won't affect end-of-half situations. It'll be limited to just the first and third quarters, but it also stems in part from USFL fan feedback. They said the games are taking too long. So... Week four will kick off tonight when the Michigan Panthers host the Philadelphia Stars. And, uh yeah, incomplete pass and the clock will roll. I actually don't have a problem with that. <laughs> Surprisingly, I really, really don't have a problem with that because, yeah, I mean, that's why if these games where no one runs and both teams are passing, those are the games that seem to take forever. And, uh yeah. Um, and, and look, this is a this is a little bit of an experimental ground, and, and I'm telling you right now, if it works, the NFL will look into it. But the NFL likes lawn games because that means more commercials. Aha! Or as they say in Germany, aha! All right, I'm Rick Tittle. We'll take a quick break. Come on back.
13: SA Radio
18: News with Tim Berg. Today, a day of big loss is on Wall Street as the Dow has fallen already more than a 1,000 points at times on Thursday. The NASDAQ is having the worst day percentage-wise as it has fallen more than 4%, while the S&P is also deep in the red. The downward plunge comes one day after stocks staged a massive rally after the Fed Reserve raised interest rates to fight soaring inflation. Senators are shining another spotlight on immigration and border security. About a million people came to the border unlawfully and were admitted into the United States. This year, so far 2022, it's unprecedented. So
12: it's not a 15-year high, it's, a, it's an historic high.
18: During Ohio, Ohio Republican Senator Rob Portman saying the situation at the southwest border is clearly a
19: crisis. This is USA Radio News. Oklahoma
18: Republican Governor Kevin Stitt is touring tornado damage. A charter school in the town of Seminole took a direct hit. There was a a nice shelter there, and then when they came out, uh, the whole roof was destroyed and all the outbuildings were turned over. Seminole is about 50 miles southeast of Oklahoma City. It was hit with its third tornado of the week. Overnight storms damaged two schools, a marijuana farm, and other buildings. There was flooding, but the governor says there are no reports of serious injuries. The co-inventor of the implantable defibrillator has passed away.
12: Dr. Martin Mower, a former Maryland-based cardiologist who helped invent an automatic implantable defibrillator, has died at the age of 89. Mower and Dr. Michael Mirowski began working in 1969 on developing the miniature
18: defibrillator. Lance Pry reporting from the USA Radio News West Coast News Bureau. This is USA Radio News. Gun smoke. Fort Laramie. Have gun, will travel. Frontier
12: gentlemen. Luke Slaughter of Tombstone. The greatest radio shows of all time. Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox. On many of these radio stations or online, just search for Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox. That's classic radio theater with Wyatt Cox.
18: At the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives in Washington, D.C., Attorney General Merrick Garland is giving an update on his anti crime strategy to bring down rising violent crime rates. Garland saying that gun kits will now be treated like normal firearms.
0: Those who engage in the business of dealing in these guns will be required to mark every frame or receiver with a serial number so that the guns can be traced if they are used in crime.
18: He says businesses will be required to be federally licensed, maintain records, and run background checks in the same manner as they would when selling a regular firearm. GARLAND NOT SAYING HOW MANY OF THESE GUNS THAT ARE PUT TOGETHER ARE USED IN VIOLENT CRIMES. A STATE IS CONTINUING TO LOOK AT WHO RECEIVED UNEMPLOYMENT BENEFITS.
1: MICHIGAN'S EMBATTLED UNEMPLOYMENT INSURANCE AGENCY IS DEALING WITH MORE FRAUD. OFFICIALS SAY 55,000 MORE UNEMPLOYMENT CLAIMANTS WHO WERE OVERPAID DURING GOVERNOR GRETCHEN Whitmer's COVID-19 SHUTDOWNS WILL NOT HAVE TO REPAY THOSE FUNDS TOTALING $431 MILLION. UIA DIRECTOR JULIA DALE SAYS THE AGENCY will continue to review overpayments and extend waivers to anyone eligible. In the USA Radio News Midwest Bureau, I'm Katie Lewis.
18: Find us by searching for USA Radio News wherever you download your podcasts. For USA Radio News, I'm Tim Berg.
2: All right, thank you for that, and welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle with you. We got Luca Fury coming up talking MMA. We have comedian Orlando Baxter. He has a new special called Live from South High. And in about a little over a half hour, we'll have Tim Tebow, Heisman Trophy winner, a guy who uh, was a not just an NFL quarterback, but a guy who took his team to the playoffs. And a guy who uh, was also a pretty good professional baseball player, maybe not at the big league level, but still was no joke. So we'll talk to uh, Tim Tebow on the other side of about a half hour. The uh, Raiders announced that their brand new team president, Dan Ventrell, is out in less than a year. Here's the tweet. Dan Ventrell is no longer with the organization. We will have no further comment at this time. Mark Davis. Not, we wish Dan well. That's it. He replaced Mark Bedane in July. And before this big promotion, Ventrell had been with the Raiders for 17 years. When they appointed him... In the summer, Davis said his experience on both the football and business sides of the organization make him the best choice to lead the Raiders organization at this time. The greatness of the Raiders is in its future, and the future starts now. Well, I mean, in that time, Gruden out, Mayock out, CFO Ed Villanueva out, Controller Aroxy Grant all resigned. There were some financial irregularities. And so in the Sports Business Journal at that time, Davis said, I think it's pretty much clear, or if I don't know if it's clear now, but it was accounting irregularities, and that's why you see the CFO left, the controller left, and the president left. That's what it is. But we don't know if Ventrell got involved with that, too. But once again, and who cares about a team president, right? You just hope it doesn't leak its way onto the field some way or uh, somehow. All right, we're on the TuneIn app, iHeartRadio app. I'm on Twitch, I'm on Twitter, uh, at Rick Tittle, all that good stuff. Come on back for another hour.
1: This week at Macy's, give love, give style. With an extra 25% off gifts for Mother's Day when you use your Coupon or Macy's card. Plus great deals on fragrance sets from mom's favorite brands like Carolina Herrera, YSL, and more. Or shop super buys like Diamond Hoop earrings for $999. And specials like 60% off bathrobes. Plus get contact-free curbside pickup or pickup in store today at Macy's. Details at macy's.com slash pickup. Savings on regular sale and clearance prices. Exclusions apply.
0: Call New American Funding now and see how much cash out you can get. Call 800-209-6124. 800-209-6124. 800-209-6124. That's 800-209-6124. NMLS 6606. www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org This is not an offer or commitment to lend. Subject to borrower and property qualifications. Not all borrowers will qualify. Terms and conditions apply. Equal housing opportunity.
10: Have you ever wished the student-athlete in your family could play baseball against teams in the Caribbean? Well, now they can set sail and do just that with Team Avenue Baseball on one of its iconic Caribbean cruise camps. That's right. If they love baseball and want an experience they'll never forget, then you need to visit TeamAvenueBaseball.com right now. Founded by former pro ball players, TeamAvenueBaseball.com will lead to the baseball adventure of a lifetime.
2: All right, thank you for that, and uh, welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle with you coast to coast and around the world on the American Forces Radio Network. It is 12 after 11. That means it is time to check in with one of the prognosticators over at AgainstTheNumber.com. And they are a highly skilled team of premium sports handicappers focused on one thing and one thing only, beating the sports books at their own game. They cover every sport worldwide, from the NFL to college basketball, to soccer, to cricket, to tennis, to European hockey, and all of them are proven winners. They offer full season, end of current season, one month, one week, one day, and one year specialist-specific packages. Their prices are reasonable, their tracking and distribution process is simple, and the results are real. Joining us to talk MMA is our friend, the aptly named Luca Fury. Luca, welcome back to the show and I guess UFC 274 tomorrow night. We have a couple of UFC championships on the line. What do we got?
17: Yeah, two actually really good title fights here. We had a string of some UFC events lately that were not exactly the most stacked, but this card is very good. In the main event, Justin Gaethje taking on Charles Oliveira for the lightweight title. Guaranteed violence there. Then in the co-main event, you have Rose taking on Carlos Barza. Rose is the champion. She actually lost to uh, Carla several years ago for the belt before. So, very interesting rematch there. Very good card overall.
2: You know, you, you mentioned uh, Esparza. I had never heard of the weight class straw, late. straw weight, I should say, uh, when she defeated Yama, uh, Yama Yunus in the uh, Ultimate Fighter. What was that, like eight years ago? So, how? what is a straw weight? Is that under 100 pounds
17: Yeah, so that's uh, the lightest division in the UFC right now. And it's honestly probably the best division, just because when you get to, say, 135 and 145 in the female divisions, uh, you get fighters who, like, the divisions tend to be weak. There's just not that many women who are actually that size and athletic and everything, whereas in the smaller weight classes, you get much more athletic, fast fighters, much more skillful fighters. So, in my opinion, it's the best division in the female uh, divisions of the UFC by far.
2: You mentioned Oliveira versus Gaethje, and you could say that Oliveira might be one of the most dangerous fighters in UFC history because of the amount of damage he takes on himself but trying to get to victory and has won 10 straight fights over the last four years. But then Gaethje is so violent, all he tries to do, from what I hear, is just go for a knockout. So this is why you say violence is guaranteed? Yeah.
17: Yeah, Justin Gaethje is a rare fighter that you see at the high level because you don't usually see these types of fighters make it past even the mid-levels of MMA because when a fighter is effectively a brawler like him, usually they take a lot of damage, which he does, but they don't have that good of a chin to hold up to it or they just don't evolve with the sport. There's just a variety of reasons why fighters like him usually don't make it to this level. But his combination of durability, cardio, and that willingness to actually take one, two, or three shots to land one big one of his own, that's what makes him so dangerous. And what's really interesting about this matchup is Oliveira, as improved as he is, he does not like getting into wars. He does not like getting hit. And that's something that's very opposite about him compared to Deji, which makes for an interesting fight.
2: Bellator 280 in Paris. Uh, has it started yet? It's getting ready to start. Um, and uh... I believe
17: the prelim started.
2: Yeah, Ryan Bader, who's sat in here with me, a really good guy, taking on uh, France's Congo for the second time. They're going to headline it over there at the Accor Arena. They fought in the cage three years ago, but it was uh, a poke die from Bader uh, to Congo. Uh, how do you see this one going down?
17: Yeah, Ryan Bader should probably go out there and be able to use his wrestling to get the takedown and uh, be able to win, either by TKO or more likely than that, actually a decision. The thing with... Chet is he's up there in age, and he has, to his credit, stuck around in MMA a lot longer than most people would have thought, but he's not really improved that much as a fighter. He's kind of the same guy he's been for several years, and take down defense has always been an issue for him. On top of that, Bader at this point is just fresher and more athletic than him as well, so I just think you're going to see a more agile, more well-rounded, more complete mixed martial arts fighter go out, use the best of his ability, which is wrestling, and probably grind out a win.
2: Bader now fully committed to heavyweight after going up and down a little bit. Of course, a champion at both levels, Um, undefeated in his five-heavyweight contests, but the last one against uh, Moldovsky in January, barely winning that. Uh, What was the deal in that fight?
17: Well, he's actually had some rough performances in a few of his fights. He lost a couple of times at light heavyweight, so... He's actually a guy, too, who I don't think he has all that much left in the tank. He's getting up there in age. And when he fought in the UFC before going to Bellator, he had struggled a bit. It wasn't like, you know, he was completely shot or completely regressed. But you started to see some some lack of progression for him. He came over to Bellator, and he seemed to have a little improvement in the beginning, but then some noticeable regression lately. So I think it's less about that fight specifically and more about Ryan Bader's career at this point. I do think he is, as well as Chad Karno, on a bit of a decline.
2: Well, you mentioned Congo. I mean, more than 20 years in this sport. But you look at the tail of the tape, and Congo with a seven inch reach advantage, which is insane. He's also two inches higher, but that's not something that's going to uh, change your mind on Bader, huh?
17: No, the thing with Congo is he doesn't really use the reach all that effectively. He does throw pretty straight punches to his credit, but he doesn't have that great of footwork. He's actually kind of lumbering with his footwork. And unless you're really using proper distance and range and actually have an effective reach advantage. And when he's going out there and getting into pocket exchanges, for example, where Ryan Bader's just going to be able to duck under a strike, the reach won't matter.
2: You know, I'm looking at uh, UFC 274 and some of the props and um, parlays. Um, what do you think about the money line pick, DeLima and Ivanov?
17: I mean, to be honest, both of those fighters are not ones who are the most reliable. In the case of De Lima, he is really aggressive early on. He has great violent knockouts, and he actually has um, an occasional guillotine he'll go for, but his biggest issues are he does not have good cardio, and he does not have good submission defense. So pretty much after one round, if it goes there, he's kind of dead in the water pretty much. So I would favor him early on to get a, probably a violent knockout, but if he doesn't, he's probably screwed there.
2: Michael Chandler versus Tony Ferguson. Tony Ferguson, even though not the guy he once was, still just as tough, though?
17: Yeah, the thing with Ferguson is if they were in their prime, I would actually love him in this matchup, especially if it was five rounds. The problem is, Ferguson, you want to talk about regressed fighters. There's very few fighters in the UFC right now who have regressed recently as much as him. He doesn't really throw many strikes anymore. His durability isn't as good as it used to be. And those were his two best attributes. That was really how he won fights. He would struggle a bit early on and then take over mid to late in the fight with that durability, cardio, and pace. Well, against Michael Chandler, another guy who does not have good cardio for only about a round, he's very dangerous in that first round. But if this fight goes past, say, a round, round and a half, Tony Ferguson might actually be a live underdog.
2: Last question for you. Randy Brown and Chaos Williams, I'll give you the uh, total on rounds two and a half. You go over or under?
17: I would probably lean under there because if Chaos wins, it pretty surely should be by knockout. Brown doesn't have a great chin, and Williams is an MMA fighter. That's really all he has for him is that power. Brown is definitely the more technical, more skilled, better fighter, and if he wins, it's probably going to be by finish, too, although there's more of a chance he could win by decision, but overall, I would lean the under there.
2: Luca Fury, check him out with more MMA prognostication and all the other sports from his buddies at AgainstTheNumber.com. Thanks a lot, Luca, and uh, have a great weekend. Thank you so much. You too. All right, I'm Rick Tittle. We'll come on back on Sports Byline with Orlando Baxter.
14: Call now and learn which Echo product by Synergy Science is right for you. We offer free shipping and a full 30-day money-back guarantee. Change your health by simply changing your water. 800-944-1789.
0: 800-944-1789. 1789 That's 800-944-1789. Do you love driving, but you don't love your car payment? Open Road Lending can reduce your car payment That's 800 871 9417. Terms and conditions apply. Financing is available with approved credit. See openroadlending.com for details. You know, exactly. over time, you know, the more and more you do Practice something, the better you perfect. get at it. Just like, you know, Anything. you didn't
3: become this excellent at radio overnight. You Thank know, you. you know exactly when to say we got one minute left. <laughs> <laughs> right.
2: You know, because I'm so good looking. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Practice makes perfect. <laughs>
19: You
11: must be crazy. Use a D.O.G. And if you was my man, I would have been kicked you out of my house by now. This is what had happened.
2: All right. uh, I don't even know who you are, girl. Welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle with you, coast to coast and around the world on American Forces Radio Network. It's our pleasure to welcome to the show comedian Orlando Baxter. He's releasing his new comedy special today. It's called Live from South High and um, South High is in uh, Worcester, Mass., where Orlando graduated. And uh, you were also a teacher there as well. Is that right, Orlando? Yes, I was.
20: I was a teacher for 12 years. My last two years were at South High School.
2: So you were so damn funny. The students were like, will you put down that ruler and pencil and get on stage?
20: (laughs) Yeah, no, I think they were just trying to... It was one of those things where it was like, yeah, I'm missing a lot of opportunities. I love you kids, but I'm missing all these opportunities. I, I, I should go. And then the kids actually were kind of like, you know, you're kind of funny. Maybe you should give it a shot. So I, I did eventually end up leaving and uh, pursuing the comedy. I haven't, I haven't looked back since.
2: So I was just thinking, Laugh Boston. What are some of the other scenes you were at?
20: Uh, Laugh Boston, um, Comedy Connection, Wilbur Theater. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've been all around the world since I left school. I've been to like 12 countries. uh, So I've done a French festival in uh, Scotland. I've done Mm -hmm. Johannesburg International Festival. Uh, I've been to Pakistan. I did a festival out there. Came back, survived. Uh, I don't know how, but I I made
2: it. (laughs) What was, uh, I like saying Joburg. What was Joburg like?
20: uh south africa was amazing man it was just like this amazing uh international festival where they bring all these comics from all over the world to just uh perform for that crowd and they're just like lively and it's 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 fun it's probably one of the best festivals i've been to
2: you know joe coy has sat in studio with me here a couple of times over the years i know you open for him i know you open for whitney uh cummings as well and to me, that shows your versatility, because Joe, you know, his crowd, you know, like mostly Filipino, they bow down, and then Whitney's got a kind of a completely different crowd, and then they're just people who like comedy regardless, but that kind of just shows me how versatile you are.
20: Yeah, I think uh, I think I am pretty diverse. That's why I think that uh, the international stuff works for me as well. I can kind of just, like, adapt and, and, and kind of adjust the material or, or just have this point of uh, view that's, uh, you know pretty universal with most people. So, yeah, I think it's the teaching, man. You, you sit in the classroom with all these different personalities and you learn how to talk to them. I think it helps me in some, some way uh, on stage as a comedian.
2: So when you were in South Africa, did you just stick with your set or could you make like an apartheid joke? Or there things that were like, don't mention this or that?
20: Now, I think I'd have been safe with the apartheid joke because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's kind of like over.
2: <laughs> but, <laughs>
20: but uh, yeah, man, like I think when you do a lot of the, the international stuff, I think they're interested in hearing your perspective on the country as an American. So uh, I think they look forward to that because you have a unique take. And then, um, obviously, school is universal. And, I, you know, I got a lot of teaching material. So, you know, that's, that's kind of my wheelhouse.
2: Well, I think all comedy comes from in, from intelligence, and even comedians who act stupid, there's still huge intelligence underneath all that. So I'm not surprised. What what type of subjects did you teach when you were a teacher?
20: Uh, I was a history teacher. That's what I was certified in. It. I taught that once out of the 12 years I was there. <laughs> so I probably wasn't. <laughs> I probably wasn't good at it. I don't know if it has anything to do with the memory, but. Um, yeah, I've taught uh, TV production for four years, and then I was an in-school suspension teacher and a, a high school basketball coach for for the majority of the rest of the years.
2: Now, I was a high school football coach at my alma mater in uh, Richmond, mm-hmm. California, which is a, uh, let's just say, not a economic uh, boom town. Uh, it was a, kind of a de- <laughs> depressed area. Um, mm-hmm. And that was in the, the late 80s, early 90s. So nowadays, with kids it's got to be hard because they all have to have a social media presence and uh what were some of the challenges you had
20: i think uh in terms of like uh, you, you, you mean in terms of coaching
2: yeah just dealing with kids that are you know like from the days that we played
20: i think i think uh yeah i, I think it's a lot a lot more difficult you know as a coach because you got you know, the kids are spending a lot of time on social media, whereas when I was coming up, I mean, our biggest issue was video games. Yeah. You know, but we were always outside, and I think the social media, like, takes them away from actually being social, to be honest with you, because they're, mm. they're in their phones or whatever. And as as a coach, um, I mean, I didn't have too much of a problem with it because I, I did it, like, maybe my first six years of uh, of, uh Of teaching, so it still was kind of like kids had phones and were on social media, but it was like MySpace and you know Facebook was just around. But I didn't really have to deal with uh, too much Instagram and Snapchat. And you know when I when that was around, I kind of wasn't coaching anymore. And I guess my attitude towards it was like, as long as they don't follow me and I don't follow them, it's it's all good. You know
2: what (laughs) what I mean? (laughs) What is it about Boston? I mean, just off the top of my head, from Guys, I've had in here, you know, and others, and like Freed, Gould, Burr, List, Brogan. It just seems like there's more comedians coming out of there than most places.
20: I don't know, man. Like I I think there's a there's a long line of of great uh, comedians, and you know that have moved on from the area, and that still remain guys like Lenny Clark and, and, and Steve Sweeney. So you're constantly around these guys that have been around for a long time, and there's like a, it's a small, it's not like in New York where so it's a lot smaller, but it, there's a competitiveness to it. There's this tradition and history of really good comics, so you're always kind of pushing yourself. So you know, I just love it. I'm I'm so happy to be like just come up in this area as a comedian.
2: You know, you mentioned Fringe, and I know that sometimes when comedians go to Edinburgh, they'll go there for a month, and you might have to bark your own shows. It's kind of weird, huh?
20: Yeah, it's 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 the most insane. I call it, I call it the real comedy boot camp because it's like you're doing a show at night. You got to bark your audience, and then after, like especially the first year I did it, um, you got to put a bucket out at the end of your set, and hopefully <laughs> people drop. So you feel homeless. It's, it's terrible. It's not that bad at first. I was like, "Man, I ain't doing that." And then, you know, I got a couple pounds out. Like, yeah, this, this ain't that bad, man.
2: Uh, and for people who don't know, you co-wrote and co-starred in uh, *Salesman*, a feature film on uh, Amazon Prime now.
20: Yeah, man we uh, we shot a we shot a film during the pandemic. A bunch of Boston guys got together and just decided to to do something with the time and try not to give each other COVID. and uh, <laughs> We survived and uh, it was my first introduction into acting, so uh, I really started to dig that and uh, plan on doing more. So that was that was a great experience.
2: You think your Celtics have what it takes to go all the way this year?
20: Of course, man. Why would you even ask me that question? <laughs> of course I do, man. <laughs> Diehard Celtics fans. I, I do think so, though. I think <laughs> I think because defensively um we're a lot more in tune as a team, I think that gives us a chance and we got two superstars as far as Tatum and um and, and Jalen Brown and then you throw in uh Marcus Smart if, if he gets healthy, hopefully. Um and, and we got a chance, man.
2: Good stuff, and um, orlandobaxter.com is the uh, website. So before we go, live from South High, filmed at the high school, where you graduated and where you taught, um, what what's in store here for us?
20: Uh, it's just uh, the story about like how impactful the school and, and the teachers that were at the school uh, were on me as a student. And as a teacher, so it's, it, it's, it's, it's stand up a hundred percent, but it's, it's a little bit different because it has an arc to it. Like there's a, there's a reason I think people will walk away from it and be like, wow, I, I know something about this guy and, and understand why he has this love for school and teachers, you know? So that's what I'm hoping people walk away from it. And it's teacher appreciation week this week. And I think everybody, uh, regardless of whether you graduated or not, should be going back and thanking those people that had an impact on their lives.
2: How many administrators and teachers are still there from when you were a student?
20: Uh, from when I was a student, two, mm-hmm. and when I was a teacher, maybe about 30.
2: Those, do any of those two, Do either of those two teachers hate you or are they proud of you?
20: Oh, man, they're super proud of me. If they, if they, hated, if they hated me everywhere. I probably wouldn't even mention them. But, yeah, man, like, I'm super happy about it, man. Like, it's it's going to be, it's a lot different than what most people see as stand-up. And I think even my years of doing the Fringe and learning how to storytell and then combining those two with the um the stand-up, it, it created something very unique and very raw and personal. But I, I think people will enjoy it.
2: It is Teacher Appreciation Week as well. Orlando is from Worcester, Mass., as we said, South High, and his new special, Live from South High. Make sure to check it out from the veteran comedian Orlando Baxter. Thanks for coming on, man. And when you're in San Francisco, come on in the studio. We'd love to have you.
20: I appreciate it. Thank you, Rick. I appreciate everything.
2: All right, no doubt. Sure, you too. And uh, I remember talking to, uh, I think he said it on the air, get Dana Gould, one of my faves, He talked about the Boston attitude, and he summed it up like this. He said, if you passed out cigars saying, hey, 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 I just had a baby boy, whoever you handed one to in Boston would say, get over yourself. That's kind of the way it goes. All right. Speaking of baby boys, we got Tim Tebow on the other
6: side. Whoop, whoop.
14: Straight Talk Wireless now has the new iPhone 13 with cinematic mode, which lets you focus on what matters. And with Straight Talk, you can focus on getting the best deal. Our Silver Unlimited plan is just $45 a month for unlimited talk, text, and data. And it runs on the largest, most dependable networks. Now with Nationwide 5G. With the iPhone 13 on Straight Talk, you can share whatever you want, wherever you want. Straight Talk Wireless. 5G-capable device required. Actual availability, coverage, and speed may vary. See terms and conditions at straighttalk.com.
3: Don't throw away your money on maintenance fees. Use it for things you really want. We can help you end your timeshare contract and stop the money drain immediately. If you're ready to move on with your timeshare, call our team right now.
0: Cancel your timeshare now. With a free call. 800 824 5131. 800 824 5131. 800 824 5131. That's 800 824 5131.
15: Manfred has gone forward with Stewart to the right, Lineker and Howes to the left. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant!
6: That is schoolboy's own stuff. Oh, I bet even he can't believe it.
15: Is there anything left from this man to surprise us? That was one of the finest free kicks that this stadium has ever seen.
11: Rick Tittle once threw a tennis ball at a donkey.
2: Welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle with you, nationally syndicated out of San Francisco and around the world on the American Forces Radio Network. It's our pleasure to welcome back to the show Heisman Trophy winner Tim Tebow. He has a a brand new book. It's called Mission Possible, Go Create a Life That Counts, from Waterbrook Publishing. And um, Tim is no stranger to writing books Welcome back to the show, Tim. What was it about this book that you felt inspired to take pen to paper again?
24: Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I think it was um, the goal um, to encourage everyone to, to make our life count, um, you know, and and knowing that the mission's possible. And I think just in our society, it's so easy to get caught up and um what we think really matters and it's a you know that the world tells us it's all about money fame and power praise promotion platform and status and how many likes we have on social media and so this is just trying to give a little bit of a different perspective that um while all those things are fine it's not the reason we're here nor is it the reason that you're going to have fulfillment um uh, in your life or significance in your life um but to truly have a life that counts um you know, is one that is going to love people, make the world better, impact the world around you. And every single one of us have a chance to do that. And that's why, um, you know, we titled it Mission Possible, you know, not Mission Impossible. It's not a Tom Cruise movie where you have to perform daring stunts. It's about something that, um, you know, every single one of us has a chance to do and the opportunity if we're willing. uh, You know, first of all, if we know that we have a mission, if we're willing to go after it, and if we're willing to choose people's best interest and act on their behalf.
2: You know, I remember Avery Johnson, the basketball player, um, he was interviewed one time, and he said something that always stuck with me. He said, I'm intelligent and able-bodied and successful, so God expects more out of me. I need to do more. And I think about that, and I also think about you with your success and health. Do, Do you think kind of God expects this out of you, too, to reach out and give this message?
24: Well, I think that um, every single one of us have been given different talents. And, you know, whether that's five, it's two, it's one. You know, so many times in our eyes we play this game of comparison. Um, But I think for us it's just a game of faithfulness and stewardship of whatever God has given us that we just try to be as faithful with it, to use it for Him, not just for our own good, not just for our own selfish ambition, but to be able to love Him and help other people. And so it doesn't matter, you know, where He's put us how He's put us there, how He's equipped us with whatever He's given us, wherever we're at, we can make an impact. We can help people. And so I want to encourage people if they feel like, well, they have a huge platform or they have a little platform, you know, wherever God has you, He has a mission for you there. And as long as you have breath, you have purpose. And every single one of us get to go out and fulfill that mission if we choose to. And so I don't think it's necessarily a matter of big or small. I think it's a matter of faithfulness and stewardship.
2: Well said. What do you think about, and, you know, it's very easy to say, oh, this country is going to hell in the handbasket, uh, and that's a little bit uh, overstated, but where do you think we are as a nation when it comes to values?
24: Well, I think we're um, a a country that still has so many amazing people, and, and I'm just so grateful and fortunate that I get to be, in this awesome country that um, is doing so much here to love and help people and also so much around the world. You know, we send, this, send out the most uh, missionaries around the world that are making such impacts. I just also think that not many people know about it because they're not always the stories that are shared. And because of that, not everybody always gets to see it. Um, but, you know, I, I will say is, is looking at some of the statistics, is some of the areas that, that break my heart is when a a third of people say that they're lonely most of the time or all the time, or that two thirds of uh, of um, 18 to 34 year olds say that there's nobody in the world that believes in them, or 12 percent of our daily thoughts are spent in some form of comparison. Um, you know, when I see statistics like that, or when you see, and um, you know, a couple of years ago between um, the the uh, um, in young people, how there were over. Um, you know, sixty six thousand suicides, and you just think, oh my goodness, this is, you know, we're, we're just missing the, some of the mark of where we need to be teaching the next generation, and that was really on my heart, and so I want to encourage people in their worth and their value, because when we're looking for it in so many places um, that, that are just never going to be fulfilling, but when we find that in our relationship with God and the purpose that we have in our life and the reason that we're here. You know, then it doesn't matter what the rest of the world says because we don't have to find our identity from what they say about us because we found our identity in what Christ says about us.
2: A couple more questions for Tim Tebow, the new book Mission Possible. I have a friend who adopted a special needs child, and it's very uh, taxing on her family, but she said that I just felt like if I didn't adopt uh, this boy that he wasn't going to make it. That's something that you see every day with your foundation, don't you?
24: It is. And actually we, we do help the courageous um, families that uh, adopt internationally um, boys and girls with special needs because there's, you know, so few and far between. So that's one of our initiatives that we help um, bring those kids to their forever family. And it's something we're very passionate about because there's so many of these boys and girls that are literally thrown away, tied up, um, left alone, um, sitting on the side of the street and, um, And we just believe it's it's our job and it's our calling to fight for as many of those boys and girls as possible, to get to them, to rescue them, to bring them to their forever families, to let them know how worthy and valuable and loved they are, not just by us, by the creator of this universe. And, you know, that is something that that God's really placed on my heart and our teams. And so whether that's um, in the special needs community or it's the um, orphan care community or if that's those that are being trafficked, you know, our heart is is truly to to fight for those that... um, that can't
2: fight for themselves. I was uh, raised Catholic, and I remember a priest told me in high school, he said, you know, think about people that you don't like or you think are disgusting or you hate. And he said, look for Christ in all of them because he's in there. And I try to think of that sometimes when I think of somebody who I am disgusted with, and I think, well, he's in there somewhere. what, What does that message mean to you, and do you kind of agree with that?
24: Well, I, I think um, for me, I think we need to, um, I think our mission is to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. Who's our neighbor? It's literally everyone. And so our mission is to love God and love people, every single person. And when we understand that every single person was created in love, by love, and for love, that God loves every single person, that they are fearfully and wonderfully made, fearfully meaning awesome and wonderfully meaning unique and set apart, that every single person is awesome and unique and set apart and one of one and special, and they are worthy enough for Christ to die for, for them, that I, I need to look at them with that value, with that worth, with that love that that um, that Christ had for them. And so every single person, whether you agree with them or not, whether you have things in common with them or not, whether you have the same vantage point or you have the same religion or you have the same politics that shouldn't get in the way of loving people. You know, and unfortunately too many times, uh, what we have in common gets in the way of how we love people and how we treat people. And what needs a we need to lead with is our love and our kindness and our care. And, and through that now we can gain deep relationships where then we can have honest, good conversations that start with respect, love, and care. And now we can dive into them where people don't leave offended; they leave growing together. Even though we might not always come to the same outcomes of, you know, the you know our, our different point of views, but we shouldn't not love someone because we have a different point of view.
2: You know, I think about how competitive you are in that famous speech at Florida after your one loss. You know, get on my back; I'm going to lead you guys. That that really helps you in your faith, doesn't it?
24: Well, I I think. Um, yeah, I think it, it, it. You know,
9: you're
24: being able to to know that um, that everything happens for a reason, and the highs and the lows that um, that you're not defined by a game. I think it helps you handle the highs and handle the lows, and 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 know that I'm not defined by it. Know that I don't have to live the roller coaster that the rest of the world would live of the highs and the lows that that's not where I have to find the identity. And because of that, there's also a freedom in a, in a joy that can come in it. And not saying that I don't take the, the highs and the lows hard in that they're, it's not a, a hard and it's not emotional because it's all those things. I mean, listen, I've tried on TV multiple times after losses, so it's definitely emotional. Um, but it doesn't have to steal your joy or steal your identity. And that's something I'm so grateful for.
2: Very cool. Last question for you. And you know how nosy people are and they've been nosy about you your whole life. I know that you kind of open up and you, you talk about your marriage in this book, right?
24: Absolutely. It's actually how we start. And, um, you know, to, to be able to talk about the mission proposals, what we call it, and, um, get to talk about my, my awesome wife, Demi, um, who's actually in the Philippines right now. Um, um, at our hospital and some of our safe homes, um, loving and caring for so many of those boys and girls. And, um, she's just such a, a, a blessing and, um, I can't wait to see her when she gets back. But, um, yeah, I, I, you know, it's important for me to also try to share not just in the highs, but also the lows. And that's something we do at Mission Possible is to try to be transparent in some of those moments. Um, because, you know, I, I feel like the, the highs in my life through sports and different opportunities God's given me has given me a platform, but I think the lows have also um, helped in a testimony, too. And so I think we can all learn from each other's highs and lows, and sometimes we just think, oh, you only learn from the good moments, but I think also we probably learn more from the bad than we do from the good.
2: No doubt. It's Tim Tebow, four-time New York Times best-selling author, uh, Heisman winner with the Gators, took an NFL team to the playoffs, was a pro baseball player in the Mets system as well. Check out the book, Mission Possible, Go Create a Life That Counts, from Waterbrook. Tim, congratulations on the book, and thanks for coming by.
24: Absolutely. I really appreciate it. Thanks for the the, the thoughtful questions and diving in with me. Appreciate Uh, you.
2: All right, good stuff. I'm Rick Tittle. We'll come on back and close it on Sports Byline.
9: Who's watching? Who's watching me?
1: Call Rate Genius now.
0: 800 811 7913. 800 811 7913. 800 811 7913. That's 800 811 7913. Not all applicants qualify for a loan or rate savings. Actual offer terms, including APR, are determined at the time of your application
19: based on creditworthiness, value of the vehicle, loan term, and other factors.
5: I don't even recognize myself anymore.
4: I'm really worried about him. His addiction.
11: Rick Tittle is a majestic
16: stallion.
2: All right, uh, thank you for that, and uh, pretty good Tebow interview there, if I don't mind saying so. He was uh, a pretty thoughtful guy. Uh, Sergio Garcia today, his uh, opening round at the 2022 Wells Fargo Championship, is getting a lot of attention because of one specific moment on the par five tenth. Hit his tee shot left of the fairway, went into the penalty area. He found his ball but he didn't find the ball in the three-minute time frame. So he got a penalty stroke. And Garcia said, I can't wait to leave this tour. I can't wait to get out of here. Just a couple more weeks until I don't have to deal with you anymore. Oof. You don't even need to read in between the lines because we know what he's referring to. By the way, he's 42. I always think of him as a kid. Yikes. But he is linked. He's linked to the LIV Golf League. The former Masters champion would join many of his European counterparts to participate in that Saudi-backed golf league. Lee Westwood has been tied to it. Richard Bland, who's very bland. Ian Poulter, all being tied to what they're trying to call the Greg Norman League. And so Garcia has, of course, become the latest to express his... Commitment in an unofficial fashion, I would suppose. Right now, he's still in the top 50. He's number 47. So that would make him the 15th top 100 player to bail. It's supposed to begin uh, June in London. And by the way, Sergio Garcia, the all-time points leader in Ryder Cup history. That's impressive. But yeah, Garcia would go on to par that 10th hole and sign a three under sixty-seven after he uh, a hole-out eagle on the par four fifteenth, 15th, and uh, did really well. But after the conclusion, he didn't want to meet with everybody there at TPC Potomac, um, just didn't want to talk to anyone. Uh, but, yeah, he's mad. But the thing is, as much as golf sucks when it comes to that type of nitpicky little rules, it's still a rule. And that would be something where I would go, what? Yeah, you you got to find the ball in three minutes. And it's like, oh, for pace of play, I'm like, oh, all right, I get it. But for him to say, I can't wait to get away from your ugly face. Oh, he didn't say that. I might be, uh, might be going a little bit farther. All right, uh, what do we have? Nine, ten guests. Pretty big Friday shoe, a big shoe and a big show. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, we'll do it again on Monday. How about that? Have a great weekend, and uh, we'll see you then.